Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Hey, it's Matt from the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur here. Thanks again for listening to the DTVC podcast. Before we jump in, I wanted to quickly let you know that my new novel, A Girl and a Gun, is available on Amazon now, both on Kindle and paperback. It follows Justin, a successful writer, whose past as a scriptwriter for a fetish porn site comes back to haunt him and threatens to derail his career. As he's picking up the pieces, he gets an opportunity to make a movie called A Girl and a Gun with a rom-com star. Justin may have bitten off more than he can chew, though, because she's notoriously difficult to work with. If you're interested, you can find the link on our webpage, along with the link to my first novel, Chad and Accounting. If you have any questions, please reach out, and I thank you for the support. Now, on to the podcast. As always, this is Matt here, and I am joined by a very special guest. I've got John Cross from the After Movie Diner. Also, um, if you just listened to our theme song when the, the episode came in, he was the one who created that theme song. Um, also has his his, his uh, uh, miscellaneous plumbing fiction. Say, should I call it a group? Is it's kind of now a group, isn't it? You've got. People that perform with you uh, when you when you do miscellaneous plumbing fixtures. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. So um, I'm a big fan of the band The Mountain Goats. Yeah. For people who don't know, that started as John Darnell recording on a boombox and releasing tape cassettes back in the 90s, and then slowly over time, he's added band members, but he still is referred to as the Mountain Goats, whether the band plays on the album or not, whether the whole band plays on the album, whether the the band on the album then also has additional musicians, whatever. It's always under the banner header of the Mountain Goats. Um, and, you know, a, a bit like in, the well, uh, not at all like, I was going to say a bit like <laughs> Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band. Not at all like that. Other, other than the E Street Band are one thing and Bruce Springsteen is the other. And Bruce Springsteen is the unifying uh, element, right? So I am miscellaneous plumbing fixtures. I've always been miscellaneous plumbing fixtures. I have done some albums in the last uh, two or three years that have collaborators on it. And there are a core group of collaborators that are essentially the miscellaneous plumbing fixtures, if we were ever to to call ourselves a band. And then there are additional collaborators that have, that even before I was doing whole albums with collaborators, they may have played on like one or two songs. Um, so it's sort of an ad hoc group of, I'm going to turn my, 
In fact, I'm going to throw my Apple Watch across the fucking because I didn't say anything. I didn't say Siri. I didn't say anything like that. And it's still talking back at me. Piece of shit. I just threw it down. Sorry about that, people. You didn't get to see that, but I I threw my iWatch uh, down the the or my Apple Watch. Why do they call it the iWatch? It's now the Apple Watch, but it's an iPhone. Why wasn't it the iWatch? Anyway, um, I threw my Apple Watch down the thing because Siri was uh, about to interrupt and 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 destroy my flow. Um, so we're a ragtag band of uh, gypsy minstrels. Um, <laughs> I don't even think you can say that anymore. Uh, Romani uh, minstrels, even though none of us are Romanian or of Eastern European descent. Well, I'm of Eastern European. Anyway, I'm going down a whole <laughs> quagmire. <laughs> we are a traveling band of uh, musicians who occasionally collaborate. But the last few things I've put out have been just me. Um, I have about seven or eight songs that have been sat on ice for almost a year um, that has some of my collaborators on it, but not all. And I'm waiting for some people to add some stuff to it. I have another batch of about eight songs um, that come Bandcamp Friday. Hopefully next week is the first Bandcamp Friday back of 2022. They're doing September, October, November, December. And I hope to have a release for each of those. So there should be four more miscellaneous plumbing fixtures releases coming up September 2nd. Go to bandcamp.com, look up Miss Plumbing Fixtures, and you will find me and a new release. And then October, whatever it is, uh, that should be hopefully when the Collaborator album finally drops. And then, uh, or maybe I'll do that in November. So October, maybe I'll do like a horror-themed album, maybe a, a horror horror movie themed album or maybe a pleasant sing three yeah. uh if i can pull out 10 more tracks about our lord and savior donald pleasance um who knows and then december listen uh i already have a christmas album that every time i release a christmas single i kind of add to it so it's it's an ever-growing christmas album maybe i'll just write a whole new christmas album who knows <laughs> so anyway four more months of miscellaneous plumbing fixtures releases uh coming soon um yeah. And the after movie diner, we have, we have one more episode, one more episode, wow. and that may or may not be Matt. As I'm trying to drum up some sort of excitement, that may or may not be our last ever episode. <gasps> you know, I'm trying to drum up some of that. What do you mean the after movie diner is going away? Said two people you've never heard of. Who who are the last two people who are still listening? Um, but no, we loved content every six months when John <laughs> could be bothered to put some out. Um, no, truth of the matter is, Matt, I, I, I bought my own home. Uh, that's what yes, it is. Which is in, exciting. In yeah. the midst of economic turmoil and the downfall of society, I waded into the <laughs> housing market bravely um, and bought my own home. And to be honest, Matt, best, best decision I've ever made um it has allowed me as i said in the midst of the detroitus of the uh 21st century to find a little uh peace uh sorry i just hit my mic there to find a little peace uh to uh have a place for my uh movies for my music for my uh uh flamboyant dancing uh for my dangerous cooking and uh for my uh small burrowing animal torturing that i like to do <laughs> 
Um, so it gave me an avenue for all of those things. <laughs> and uh, best decision ever, Matt, because I can just find my corner of the universe and be like, I'll be over here. The rest of you can go fuck up whatever it is you're trying to fuck up. Argue about whatever it is you're arguing about. I'm going to be over here watching Cynthia Rothrock movies and eating my body weight in M&Ms and Doritos. <laughs> Now, one thing I should point out, I think this episode will have, by the time people are listening to this, it'll probably be after the September band camp. But if, uh, I hopefully will have the link to your band camp in yes. the details of this podcast. So people, if they get this on, I, I don't, I'm not as good with the podcatchers. I'm like, I think it's iTunes, Spotify, and I think Stitcher. But you should be able to go into the, the, to the details and be like, okay, there's the link to Miscellaneous Plumbing Fixtures band camp. Click on that. That'll get you there. And um, yeah, even, but I, you know, and I will say too, for people, if you miss uh, the, the Bandcamp Friday, you know, don't let that stop you from buying on, on a non-Bandcamp, unless you, unless you want to save up and do extra buying on, on the October. Yeah, right save up and on October, whatever it is, I don't know what the first Friday of October is, but whatever the first Friday of October is, save up and buy both albums because there will be the, the September album and, or, as Matt says, go buy it anytime. Just remember that if it's not a Bandcamp Friday, a Bandcamp they're not they're not greedy, but they take uh, you know uh, just shy of a percent. I think it's you know if you're releasing an album for ten bucks, I think yeah. PayPal takes a dollar and Bandcamp takes a, a eighty cents or, or a okay. dollar or something. Um, so if you're buying it on any other day and and it's set to uh, a certain amount or pay what you want. Maybe uh, add an extra 80 cents. Maybe pay that uh, 80 cents so that I I end up getting the same royalties as I would on a Bandcamp Friday. Just just an option that's out yes. there. No, that's a great. And it's what it's one thing that I learned from you. I think when I was on your podcast when we did Critters, I saw in the description you put the links, and I was like, why was I not putting the links to you know? Because everybody that comes on the show has something. They've got a blog. They've got right. a movie coming out, an album coming out, a book that they've written, and it's like. You know, yes, it's great to plug it while people are listening. But I, I, when I saw that you had the link, I think you had the link to my to my site or something, and I was like, why am I not putting the links to what people are doing in the descriptions? It's like, you know, people are coming on, they should have it. So yeah, so so definitely we'll have that in there. And um, well, and, Matt, and what I'll, it does is it takes a wise old sage in the world of podcasting, right. who is on his last legs, dying on his ass, <laughs> departing this wisdom to young bucks such as yourself. <laughs> Yes. I was thinking about it, too, because I was thinking about how, you know, some of the first like movie podcasts I listened to. And the first one was Moe's, uh, you know, Drunk, Drunk on VHS. And I, I don't remember how I found it. I want to say that it, was, it had to be back when when Ty was Bosch. I think he yep. somehow Bosch was on. there. I, yeah. yeah, I think I may have been connected that way. And then I listened to No Budget Nightmares with him and Doug Tilly. And there was an episode that I think you were on where I think they were doing Doug's movie. Yes. Right. I, I was for the longest time in No Budget Nightmares. Who They always said we're never having guests. Right. <laughs> I was the only guest for the longest time. And then like later on, they started having guests. And I was like, God, you've destroyed the <laughs> the beauty of me being the only guest. But yes, we watched a uh, uh, if it was a student film or a post-student film. Doug's but it was, movie. It was Doug's movie. Was yeah, but I don't know if he made it during university or just right. post university. Yeah. yeah, he felt like it would dis it would disrupt the integrity of the show if he was discussing his movie. So, right. yeah. but but what it did was it was like, oh well, you know, John Cross has a, has a 
There's another gobshite out there. That's, that's yeah. how I found it. That's how I found your podcast. And so, so, and I'm I'm thinking that must have been like maybe ten years ago. Um, it probably wasn't oh, long least, after yeah. the podcast. Yeah, I I can't remember. And then I think we that, that we met when Mo had me on Drunk of VHS, and we did two hours of discussing hobo butt flutes and you know yeah. <laughs> whatever else that we discussed when we were supposed. Yeah, to Yeah, I was on a very I was on um the first podcast. I don't know if it was the first podcast I was ever on, actually. I think I was on uh, Profondo Cinema before Mo's show. But the first show I ever did with Mo was the um, food-themed sex romp episode with Bosch that I believe was like their Halloween episode, even though none of them were <laughs> Halloween-themed. It was Hamburger the Movie, uh, Lemon Popsicle, uh, uh, Hot Dog, something else. Um and uh, and I did that episode with um, with Bosch. And uh, the first time, yeah, first time I talked to Bosch, first time I talked to Mo. Um, and it was maybe only the second or third part. I forget if I was on Profondo Cinema. I forget if that was the first episode I ever guested on, long before I did my own show. Um, and that episode, I believe, is available on the Drunk on VHS archives, which live on aftermoviediner.com and subsequently live on iTunes and uh, Stitcher and Spreaker and all that good stuff because um, uh, Spreaker very kindly granted me uh, radio station status so I can add as many different podcasts as I want. And Spreaker's really good at um, disseminating the shows out. So if you go to Podchaser and look at my show, it's or Podlink or one of those uh, aggregators, you'll see that my show and Drunk on VHS Archives and Dr. Action and all the shows that I've been involved in are available on like 70 different platforms. <laughs> so there's no escaping me, right. uh, is what I'm trying to say, even though uh, uh, about 8 billion people manage to escape me every week and, and not interact with what I do. But there's a core group of about two and a half that really... <laughs> not two and a half billion, two and a half people. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm big in the amputee community, Matt, is what I'm trying to say. Right. That's what it's for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, what was it? Um, it, it wasn't the, the most recent one. The one, he, I think it was the, was it when you did Gotcha, the movie, was, is it Gotcha? Is that the one? Yeah. And yeah, was, with Scott Toomey. Right. Who's, who's Michael Knight is, is his, sort of his alter ego on Twitch. Yes. And that was, I was like, oh, well, so the problem, of course, for me, because I, I can't listen on Friday nights when he does his Twitch show. So a lot of times I'll play it like on Saturdays if I'm cooking or something like that. The thing is, if he ever plays any songs that have copyright material, they go silent when they when you do the replay. Oh, um, really? Yeah, it just like it just cuts the sound out. And I'm like, is something wrong with the podcast? And it's like, oh, no, no, it's playing it, it, the song. I guess when he plays it live, right, right. if you're listening live, you hear everything. But um, it's a unique thing. Um, I don't know how Twitch does that, but, you know, they... That's a real shame. But I have a claim to fame there. Uh, he has played uh, a lot of people on that show, both independent and, 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 and nationally popular, as well as uh, my friend uh, Sonic Chiba, who's um, Australian movie buff, who does some really great synthwave stuff that he's played on there. He has played miscellaneous plumbing fixtures exactly once. <laughs> So I, uh, it, you know, once he started doing Retro Futures, and I'm like, great, I've got to get on that show because I just whore myself out, Matt, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's a music show, I'll figure out music. If it's a movie show, movie show. If it's an amputee show, I'll cut off an arm. Like whatever, 
whatever needs to, ha or I'll fake it. I'll just shove it up inside my t-shirt sleeve and, you know, tell some long-winded story about how I lost it in Nam. You know, whatever it is, um, I'll do whatever it takes. And the funny thing was, is I was doing my run of uh, Bandcamp Friday releases, and one of them, which started so long ago now, it feels like years ago now. Twenty twenty feels like a decade ago. It, it just does, doesn't it? Does. Uh, but when in twenty twenty, I had. I think I had like four or five tracks. And the sixth track, I was just like, well, how difficult can this be? It's just synthesizers. So I did like <laughs> a synth wave track uh, uh, on that album. I forget which one uh, album it was. I can look it up if anyone cares. I don't think so, but um, that anyone cares. But uh, I put that track on the last album. And I was like, oh, Scott's going to love this. And I sent it to him. And Scott was like, oh, yeah, that was fun. Never heard anything back. So I was like, OK, then in 2021 when i was doing even more of the Bandcamp friday stuff i thought well screw it the only way i'm going to do it is if i do a really experimental album that has some sort of rock folk singer songwriter stuff on it but also has like uh samples and 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 drums and and synth and weird beats and whatever and that was the splang album oh, right uh yes. which was uh, a combination of 10 splangs even though they were like splang number 48 and splang number three and splang, like they did none of it made any sense um but you know it was like when jean-michel jarre uh, the who's kind of the french godfather of synthwave yeah. would release like oxygen part two and the tracks were just called like oxygen 7.8 and you're like i don't know what you're going on about but i would i did my version of a jean-michel jar album called splang and uh i think it was splang number 61 finally won scott over and he played it during the swill and chill section of his uh, retro futurism 101 twitch wave uh dj set on friday nights and everyone loved it everyone thought it sounded like um uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, the the Marble Zone or whatever the nope. the second is it the Marble Zone is like the second one or the third one I think. I think yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's funny I have Sonic the Hedgehog on my phone, but um I I can't play it like you know like I don't. Apparently there's a you can get a controller that attaches on the sides of your phone. If you actually want to. So <laughs> right. I, I, I that's so I, I didn't realize that that the game was free. I think I paid like two dollars to get the ads out, but yeah. Um, but then I got to pay an extra thirty dollars to get a controller for the sides of my phone to actually play it. So um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, or you could just get a master system on eBay for like twenty bucks, uh, or do what I did. I have um, I have the Xbox, and they released a, a Genesis uh, a disc which has like forty games on it. Yeah. Uh, um, it has all of the Sonics on there, and that that disc was like fourteen ninety nine, wow. so it was like fifteen bucks, and I got like forty games, all... and it's all the games I used to play as as a kid, which is <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I don't yeah, I I think there's like, I think they they have like three of the four Sonics that they they released for download on on an iPhone, um, yes. but I got the first one, and I was like, well, I can't play this. I um, you know. It, it seems right. great, but it's like I can't, you know, like because it's just like I'm essentially using on my phone, like you know, like I don't know, it's like touching to, I guess the buttons and everything like that. They kind of just sort of appear as you, as you touch the screen. Um, right. Yeah. It does. Well, I forget. I forget what it was, but like around about the time Game Boy was doing uh, roaring business, um, Sega came out with, and I forget what they called it, but a handheld. 
oh, right. uh, yes. console that the innovative thing with it was that it was in color. Right. Like it was, uh, Game and it Gear, was, I think, right? Maybe, maybe Game Gear. That sounds, but it was, um, it was about the size of two of the Max Pro iPhones, like yeah. side by side, um, with a tiny, like it had a tiny little screen, right. but like a huge panels <laughs> for your controllers either side. So I guess what they're trying to do is to try and to turn your iPhone into one of those things right. by just kind of Lego system kind of plugging stuff into the various uh parts of your iphone that still have sockets because like iphone's just like we're gonna have one socket right. that's it and it yeah. fucked everyone up because you can't listen to your thing while charging it now and yes. yeah it's a whole i just know uh, that because i i have the sort of the i have the se version but like the newest version because i had an i6 that i broke the screen on um i don't know six seven months ago so i got this phone and um it's the first one that i had that didn't have the the headphone jack and um i was yeah. You know, in a situation where I was waiting, I had a, a delay. I was flying up to New England and had a two-hour delay, and was like, "Well, I want to charge my phone, but I want to listen to some podcasts." And I realized I can't do both. That no, uh, I only do one. So the, the, the only the only way to do it that I found it, and and it, it, what it means is that all the people that sell um, uh, uh, wireless charging stations or like um, you know, hands-free wire uh, charging or whatever. Like I have the little flat panel ones you can leave oh, your yeah. phone lying on, or I have the one by the side of my bed that you kind of stick your phone in and it, whatever. Um, either that or the seller of Bluetooth headphones. You either have to go Bluetooth with the charging or Bluetooth with yeah. the headphones. But either way, Apple has made a fortune for lots of other businesses <laughs> other than theirs. Right. You know what I mean? And it, it, it'll ne and I'll never understand it because like their AirPods as something with aren't they like three hundred dollars or something There's, for yes. like the AirPods? Right. But and the what's even more laughable is when you get a new iPhone for thousands of dollars, um, the the headphones they give you with the iPhone are still the old shitty ones they used to give, you know, iPhone five or whatever. Like they right. were the yeah. same headphones yeah. that they're still trying to get rid of. And I'm like, but you got rid of the jack. So like, no, give me AirPods with my new phone, you bastards. Um, <laughs> Because you forced us into this corner. And then it's the same with everyone being like, oh, we use USB-C now. I'm yeah. like, great. So now I have to spend a bunch of money on USB-C USB fucking adapters, which, uh, eh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an amazing thing because it's like <laughs> we, the way like this, the whole technology thing. Hello. It, welcome to Two Old Men Bitch About Technology, a new <laughs> podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It it is though. It's like one of those things. like I've got I've got a, a flight uh, coming to San Francisco next month. Um, almost almost exactly a month from now. I'm going and it's the first time I've been on a flight of more than an hour. You know, in I think 2018 I flew it to Denver. So it's been right. a, the first time in a long time that I've been on an airplane for a long period of time. And uh, I'm like trying to figure out like what am I going to do to you know because like, I'll bring a book with me, but like. Um, I just don't know that I have the, the capacity at, at this point in my life to read five hours uninterrupted um, at any point. At, 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 right. You know. um, so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a direct flight to Oakland. So I've never flown to the Oakland airport before. So it's also going to be. Um, so know. is it one of those flights where they're like, we don't provide screens in the chairs, but if you have a laptop and want to spend $75, you can download our entertainment package. And you're right. like, so the my shit hunch. used to give us for free, I have to now. Right. Yeah. 
Right. It's Spirit Airlines, which I've never flown before. My understanding is that they're not great. So my <laughs> hunch is that I can't expect anything out of this. Like right. I can't expect to be fed for five hours. I'm not going to expect to get Wi-Fi for five hours. I've got to go into this knowing that I've got to find a way to entertain myself as if, you know. And I, do you I, have an iPad or a laptop? And I've got a laptop. So I've got my work laptop and then I've got my iPhone. So, so um, my advice to you would be, um, especially if you don't want to, like if you don't have a lot of hard drive, I don't know how much hard drive space you have, but um, the best way to get entertainment onto a laptop, so go to YouTube, yeah. find all the B-movie action stuff or horror, whatever that you want, and then go to like a keep vid or a YouTube downloader of some kind. Yeah. And you can normally download the videos at like 480 um, resolution that for a laptop and on a flight is absolutely fine. And I would just download, I should not be telling people that you can download from YouTube because it's <laughs> illegal, but you can, you can download from YouTube. Um, uh, download from YouTube, people. It's the way of the future. Um, and and it no longer, like pirating no longer, you know, they used to claim like pirating, if you buy pirate movies, you're killing people in <laughs> India. And you're like, I'm not, I'm not killing anybody. Right. Um, I liked the idea that the, the FBI and the CIA were trying to make out like pirating movies was a, a really insidious, dangerous thing. Right. Like um, gun runners and sex traffickers had a sideline in pirating right. films. Like, right. no, they didn't. People who were pirating films were just like people in Indonesia selling knockoff DVDs on a side street with a, you know, faintly printed off cover. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it wasn't some big uh, uh, conspiracy or some big it's racket. Like a gateway thing, right? Right. Yeah. And I don't see Hollywood losing any money. You know what I mean? Like Hollywood's not. If Hollywood was like, well, shit, we can't make Spider-Man eight because too many people pirated Spider-Man seven and the studio has gone under. <laughs> Then sure, I'll, I'll. You know what I mean. Right. Anyway, Matt, I'm telling you, you go to YouTube, you find movies from 1988 that were only ever available on VHS that some enterprising zenial uh, um, uh, like ourselves or Gen Xer like ourselves has uploaded uh, to the YouTubes um, in one of the back alleyways there. Download a whole ton of those, and that'll get you through the five hours easy. That's my recommendation to you. Yeah. Sir. No, that might be the way to go. I could kind of, you know, sort of, yeah, get some movies in the can. And and, and I, I can't imagine anything that would be better than me sitting there with my laptop and who knows who is sitting next to me and they see, you know, like whatever movie it is that I'm watching, you know, uh, what, 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 I'm trying to think of some good ones that, uh, you know, some, I mean, Cynthia Rothrock films would be great, but I'm just, I'm thinking of like, you know, just yeah. some of the, the best of the, uh, the worst uh, directed video stuff and just, um, yeah, trying to make sense of, of you know, whatever it is that, you know, Lou Ferrigno action or something like really kind of lower oh, yeah. down on the, the the barrel, you know, some nice. I, I, either that or something with just something that every eight minutes yeah. has a really gratuitous and nonsensical either sex scene or violence scene. <laughs> so you could be sat on a plane probably yeah. next to some somebody who's either never watched the movie or maybe even a child and you could just influence them by just sitting there and nonchalantly like you don't even react you're not even right. getting excited by the sex or or, or right. excited by the violence you're just sat there very deadpan watching it while some of the most horrific 
and and erotic images uh, paper your laptop and and the child and or child who's sitting next to you uh, or maybe a, a, a Mormon. Maybe you get sat next to a Mormon or even better, someone from uh, um, who are the, the Amish. Do they fly? I know no. they don't like electricity, yeah, but they, do they fly? They might. You never know. Like you, you never know how. One of the things I think about religious rules is is the the, the exceptions that people make to the rules. Oh, yes. Rules. Yes. And, and I feel like there, there, there very well could be a caveat that allows for the Amish to fly, uh, right. or a it's sect fine. of flying Amish, right? Maybe there's like a, a breakaway <laughs> sect of flying Amish. <laughs> for example, they're allowed to fly, but only if they bring on an emotional support goat with them, and they're allowed to churn butter in the, you know, while they're, like, I don't know, like something like that. Now, can you imagine um, that the hilarity of the, the emotional support goat is like chewing on my laptop cord and gets electrocuted and then we've got to land the plane like suddenly yes. in like Des Moines or something in emergency <laughs> landing because I was watching. The... And that's against the rules of the flying Amish. They're not right. allowed to land in Des Moines. So it causes this whole uh, religious First yeah. Amendment right. thing. He refuses to get off the plane. Right. Um <laughs> You know, they have to send in the bomb squad or something. I don't know. But it could it could cause a whole whole uh, uh, thing. And I, I think that's exactly what you sh you should be doing yeah. um, is uh, what I once saw a great documentary, one of my favorite things. And I, I, I agree with you. There is no one better. And again, let's just move into the insulting religious material. Let's just really oh. torpedo this podcast. <laughs> um but there's no one better. I speak as 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 a, a, a chosen child of the Lord myself. Right. Um, there's no one funnier in getting around their archaic desert rules than the Jewish. Right. They have whole industries. Yes. Whether it's wigs for the women to get away from the fact that the women are not meant to show their hair, they're like, "Ha ha, we've covered it with wigs." Right. Like, oh my goodness! I mean, what a workaround! <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? I don't know. Maybe just get rid of that idea in the front. Maybe just go, oh, God's right. It's 2022. God's all right with with women's hair now. It's not like, oh, you know, cover up, cover up your hair, mother. You're getting me all excited. Um, but <laughs> the other thing is there's there was this great documentary. You know, they're not allowed to use electricity like during right. the Sabbath, right? From Friday into Saturday. Um, and that's quaint. That's fine. That's wonderful. Uh, it's, you know. It is what it is. Tradition's important uh, to those people, and, and and listen, I respect it. I'm not a, I'm not attacking them, but there is a whole cottage industry within the Jewish faith for workarounds. So, for example, they have a telephone that calls every number on the planet all the time, but then you put certain pegs in, it stops on the number you want, right? So you're not doing anything, and the person at the phone company is not doing anything, and the electricity is constantly flowing anyway, so it's not. But essentially, it's a phone that instead of you tapping in a number, right, right and the phone company or whatever having to connect, no, that does, it calls all the numbers all at once, and it's a workaround. And I'm like, so wait a minute, God's okay? Like, like God's not looking at you sneaking stuff through the back door? Like, isn't he omnipresent? Isn't he mentor? Like, I don't... If there's workarounds, how good was the rule in the first place? Like, I just, I'm, it's baffling to me. But I'm also constantly impressed because it's a source of innovation. And I'm, I'm sure somewhere one of those inventions that is, you know, completely and utterly useless to most of us most of the time. I bet some of those inventions for like times when our electricity goes out. I bet there are some of those inventions that, like, I bet the wind up lamp or whatever was probably one of those inventions you know what i mean like yeah. i'm sure there are inventions that we use during blackouts and stuff 
that probably come from those Jewish inventors. So uh, hilarious, but also wonderful because they've given the world, I'm assuming the wind up lamp, but I have no, <laughs> it's the only thing I can think of. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So I don't know. I remember uh, when I was living in Portland, Maine, my roommate had a friend who um, he was he was an interesting character anyway. And he was dating this woman who was Orthodox Jewish. And I guess so she followed a lot of those rules. So he decided, well, I'm going to follow these rules, too. It was almost like a sounds like fun. You know what I mean? Right. That's the <laughs> but the thing was, was the ones that he liked were the ones like he wasn't supposed to touch money on the Sabbath. Right. So they'd right. all go out to drinks and he'd be like, well, you got to pay for me because I can't touch money. That's and genius. Like, right? They're like, genius. They were like, no, you don't order drinks if you can't touch money. Or he would stand there at the door because I guess you couldn't open a door. Um, that was one of them. You can't open the door on the Sabbath. So he would just stand there and be like, almost like the Fonz, like snapping his fingers, like, you know, who's going to open this door for me? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like your friend was a bit of a twat. Well, it was it was my roommate. It was interesting. It was my roommate's roommate, friend. Sorry. So I fortunately had, had very little interaction with him. But I remember, okay. remember one time sounds I came like home the best from work. Way to and, be. Yeah, I, I came from work one time and he made a pizza and he was like all excited to show me that he'd made this pizza. And um, it was one of those pizzas. I don't know if you've ever had a if you've ever tried to make your own pizza one time and just didn't flatten the dough out enough. And when you bit into it, you realize, I mean, I don't know if I've, it's something that happened to me when I was very young, when we, you know, had like a pizza making activity or something at school. And I That's bit into this big thing of like wet dough in the middle of a, of a pizza. And I was like. Yeah, no, no, it was great. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, did you like it? Yes, I, I did, you know, and so yeah. it was like this kind of character, I guess, the right. kind of person who makes undercooked pizza that a child would make in yeah. <laughs> elementary school when he's in his late 20s. Is and find ways for, for ancient Jewish traditions to get him out of paying for any drinks or opening right. doors for anybody. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scum, scumbags is what yeah. we call them. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's yes, it's a whole wonderful world of uh, of rules and traditions. And I'm here to say, Matt, that um, whether you uh, fly in the face of rules and traditions, or whether you form your own, or whether you abide by, you know, two thousand year old uh, desert uh, ramblings, um, either one is is beautiful and wonderful. And you know, the world is, uh, you know, the world is messy, complicated, confused, and at the moment. What's what's great is I've always known the world was messy, confused and whatever. So I'm just like waiting for everyone else to catch up. And at the moment, all the people who have spent their entire lives thinking the world is this shiny, beautiful, excellent place that's going to give them, you know, benevolence and love and everything they want and their dreams are going to come true. And they believe the posters and they, you know, listen to uh, 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 self-help gurus or whatever. You know, they were big fans of Oprah, whatever nonsense they dialed, whatever, you know, uh, uh, false god they prayed to. Um, it's now all coming crashing down. And I, it's wonderful. It's like um, we're, we're, we're bumming the entirety of the universe out. It's like the end of Brain Candy. For anyone who's seen Brain Candy, yeah. at the very end of Brain Candy, you know, they come up with this antidepressive drug. It turns out it makes us all zombies. So... They then come up with an antidote that essentially depresses us all again. That's what's happening right now. And that's wonderful. The world needs to catch up with me. I've been grumpy, depressed, and realistic for decades now. Join me on my – well, don't join me because I hate people. But but join me at a distance um, in relishing the end of uh, humanity's backslapping nonsense. And let's get down to some real business is what I that's what I say, Matt. And so whatever you decide to follow, it's OK, because at the end of the day, like we're all dying. So exactly. <laughs> well, I think the one the one thing about the modern world 
that does work. It does function okay. Is the fact that we just have like so many movies available on yes. all these streaming sites, but yet the streaming sites themselves, I think, realize how good it is, and 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 so they can't. It, it can't just be like you get nice things. It's like you go to watch a movie that you've been wanting to watch for two months and realize it was taken down. Well, like, I would argue, I would argue that the, the the streaming services are not why modern life is glorious. I would say that the because the streaming services is anything. I mean, look at the fiasco with HBO Max and various yeah. other things that are happening right now. Yeah. Um, most of the streaming services are are actually awful, especially for movies, especially for movies. But what we have, and what I've been writing about a lot lately, because um, weirdly, although I haven't been doing podcasts, I've been doing a lot of written reviews. Is we have the explosion of the boutique Blu-ray yes. distributor now. That's slightly more expensive because you're asking people to spend anywhere from fifteen to thirty dollars on a on a on a single movie as opposed to streaming, where it's like five bucks for like, you know, maybe a couple of hundred movies. Yeah. But we are getting movies, uh, you know, writing wrongs. For example, yeah. the Cynthia Rothrock film. Uh, to keep it on point, Matt. To keep it yes, really yes, uh, keep subject. It yeah. Subject. Uh, 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 what's the relevant? Subject relevant. Yeah. Um, you know, writing wrongs, which is which had been a sort of a missing title for, yeah. for decades. I mean, it, it had had a brief Hong Kong Blu-ray release that no one kind of really got hold of and it went out of print. Yeah, it had a DVD, I think Dragon's Dynasty or whatever, which I think was a, I hate to say it, but wasn't that a dimensional Weinstein company like distribution, oh, Dragon's maybe. Dynasty? I think it was their like martial arts releasing arm, I think. It could be. Yeah. Uh, or Merrimack, maybe back when it was Merrimax, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but Dragon's Dynasty put it out on DVD as, as above the law. Um, but it hadn't been out in a long time, and it certainly never been out in a in an up, updated uh, format or, or or cleaned up or with all the different versions and whatever. And we just got the amazing Vinegar Syndrome release um, a month or so ago, and we're getting uh, 88 films in in UK and Europe are putting it out. Uh, I don't know whether there's any added features or different whatever, but I've, I've got to imagine it's the same um, transfer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're getting stuff like that. And yes, it's more expensive than streaming. But to be perfectly honest, the fact, you know, like one of the last shows I was on, we talked about Action USA. Um, the fact that you had a movie like that, that had really only ever come out on VHS and maybe had been right. traded around and like digital versions that someone had digitized in VHS. And like when I first saw it, I think Bosch got me or Ty got me the 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 uh, digital version or whatever. Um, but um you know, to have a movie like that out on not one Blu-ray, but two Blu-rays, like, that's fantastic. You know what I mean? And that's, so I would say that if modern life is great at all, it's because we are living in a similar era to the early VHS era when distribution companies were popping up everywhere and trying to put out as much stuff as they could. Um, that's what's happening on Blu-ray. What we're getting on streaming um, is that everything's becoming a cable company. So everyone's right. producing their own content. Um, which is not what any of us wanted. Like no one was clamoring for like Netflix to do its own thing. We just wanted it to be a repository of, you know, four or five studios back catalog movies. Just keep dumping movies on there and we'll keep watching it. Um, but, you know, and, and maybe not every single uh, movie that's come out uh, on every single streaming service has been a winner, but there have been some. Uh, I think that the two streaming channels that I think are doing great stuff at the moment is um, 
funnily enough, Amazon Prime, which is also really good at back catalog stuff. Amazon Prime is allowing a lot of movies that would normally have gone into theaters, but now will not go up against big blockbusters like, um, and I suppose Netflix is doing this as well with sort of Scorsese stuff and things, but like Clooney's last one was an Amazon movie. Scorsese's last couple have been uh, Netflix movies. Um, uh, I think think Wes Anderson is working with either Amazon or Netflix coming up on his next one. Um, So we're getting some filmmakers being allowed to, obviously Fincher did Manhunt and stuff. So we're getting some interesting content from directors that we wish were doing uh, big, bigger movies, theatrical movies. Um, but then also Shudder is giving a great place for a ton of independent horror films. So um, a bunch of independent horror films that have come out in the last 10 years have come out as quote unquote Shudder exclusives when yeah. really they were just movies that Shudder bought up at um, festivals and things. They weren't movies that Shudder funded to begin with. They, they, they bought it up. So, yeah, I think Shudder is doing some great original content as well as giving us some Batcat stuff. But again, not a lot of Batcat stuff. There's more There's more movies in my horror collection of Blu-rays, DVDs, and VHS than there are streaming on Shudder. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't yet have the action channel. I mean, Tubi's the closest we have, but it has commercials. Tubi needs to bite the bullet and just do a $5 version that doesn't have commercials because then I would only subscribe to Tubi. It's all I would do. Um, I just can't watch commercials. I don't, I just, I can't watch commercials. I did so commercials come on and I just want to beat my face with a, a, you know, a palette knife. And, you know, I just, I hate it. There's something about the, the, the voices on commercials, yeah. the people on commercials, the music on commercials. I just, yeah. if anything, if I'm going to, you know, if there's going to be a suicide note attached to the end of my life, it's going to be because um, they did away with, all non-commercial streaming and all streaming had multiple commercials and i just you know that's probably what it would be yeah it's it you see the tubi one i don't find the tubi commercials as obtrusive as like say like pluto but i get exactly what you're saying i i I feel like i i remember watching something with with noam chomsky who i don't know am i correct that he's been canceled i feel like he he said some bad things about the war in in ukraine or something i think he's been canceled so so i don't want someone canceled noam chomsky i'm glad they're still canceling relevant people people who are up to the minute relevant people like noam chomsky yeah exactly but he made a comment about commercials he's like if commercials were not meant to be purposely misleading what a commercial would be is like for example it was a car commercial a car commercial would have a car in the middle of a showroom that with a camera, you know, walking around it, and then the specs of the car listed out next to the car. It wouldn't right. be the car jumping off a building or jumping no. through sand dunes or families having wacky adventures and, and you know, whatever. <laughs> Certainly it wouldn't is. be families having wacky adventures. No, if we've learned just... anything, nothing wacky happens when you put a family in a car. Exactly. Yeah. So this is what a commercial would be. And I feel like that would be like the best for our sensibilities. You know, I would love it if McDonald's, for example, just like instead of calling their 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 chicken sandwich a crispy chicken sandwich, they were like, this is a fried chicken sandwich that has an Enough sodium for two days worth of sodium in the regular, so you know, your diet <laughs> right. has yeah. enough calories for, for, um, you know, for, for at least a half a day, if not a day's worth of calories. 
And yes, you probably you, it, it's probably going to taste pretty good, but that's if the workers that we we, we have working that day. If yeah. we didn't put somebody on an open shift after a closed shift, so they're to- so tired they can't tell the difference between the stale buns and the real buns, and they don't really give a shit anyways. No. So they're just going to give you your chicken sandwich with stale buns, yeah. and they may not have cooked the chicken properly either, because again, we put them on an open shift after a closed shift, and they only had four hours of sleep, so they 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 won't know how long they've cooked it. But that's exactly what you're probably going to get when you get into line at the, yeah. the you know. And, and you'll be eating it because you will have exhausted all other options, or you're really lazy, or you're really hungover, or you live above a McDonald's. Like right. one of those reasons, or you're on the highway yeah. and you're driving eight hours and the only fucking thing is a McDonald's right. or, you know, a Subway or yeah. one of those pizza places where the pizza's just been under a hot lamp for three weeks. Um, you know, that... And it, all of it is covered in rat feces because right. you're in the you you're basically at this kind of like you know strip mall in the middle of fucking nowhere, and the only people who like live and work within a hundred mile radius are the people who live and work in these stores and the rats that shit on everything. Right, exactly. um, and you accept that. And look, I would be absolutely fine with it. Also, but it's it's not just. It's the music, the graphics, and the voiceovers they use. Right. If it was just some dude who came on, and I don't mean, because they also do this. They also trick us. They have, like, the irony thing where a guy comes yes. and goes, hey, I'm just some dude, and I'm just talking to you dude to dude. And I'm like, no, I just, no, no, I just a genuinely honest person just walks out of a thing, bites a, a, a McDonald's crispy chicken, goes, you know what? For eight bucks, it's not bad. And then walks out, like, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> exactly. Or just like, just like you know, hey, I was walking by this place. The fries smelled really good because the McDonald's franchisers are told to pump the smell of their fries so strong that they can smell them for two miles away. Yeah. I felt like I wanted some fries. By the time I got in line, I was like, okay, I'm going to get these, th- you know, these few things. But of course, I also realized that that day only two people showed up to work. So now I'm stuck in line waiting for my food. I've already paid for it. Um, oh, wait, they skipped my food. I've got to go up and ask this one person who doesn't have time to talk to anybody and say, hey, did you, did you get my fries? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. You got to put them. Okay. And you got to, you actually got to throw another batch in the fryer. So it could be another 20 minutes. Oh, you're the okay. dude who just ordered fries. We can, we thought that was a mistake. Right. And we just got, <laughs> we threw that order away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it would you know I, I think what was it the um the second supersize me which again I think the guy who did the supersize me was again canceled so um just oh yeah he Morgan Spurlock's also yeah, been canceled I believe he was also canceled but but he was he was talking about that <laughs> assume in- we've been canceled as well Matt just assume it's it. very possible that I heard John make some comments about Jewish inventions right uh, yeah didn't insult anyone by doing I it we simply. Were actually- I believe we were canceled when you came when we did the critters episode for making fun of ginger individuals. I was, I was yeah. canceled. Yes, even yeah, though yeah. both of us have ginger in our beards. Yes, and we our, were canceled. Yeah, we are clearly part ginge, the yeah, both that, of us. Yeah, and but, yet, and yet, we were canceled. No, I think that in terms of the the. I'm, now, I'm assuming if I can use my terminology properly here from the the Twitter the Twitterati in terms of yeah. how they, in terms of intersectionality, saying that you have red in your beard does not make you a ginger. Right. Nor does it mean that you go through what gingers go through on right. a daily. So you can't daily, know yes. what it's like to be a ginger and say that you are somehow akin to a ginger and right. thus able to make fun of a ginger just because you have ginger in your beard. <laughs> right. Hence, you've been canceled. So okay. That's, that's yeah. Hashtag white people. Hashtag. Uh, no, <laughs> just had all white people. Right. Just exactly. hashtag. And, yeah. but, but I also have to say this. Uh, um, uh, as much as we make fun of it, and we're just making fun of it, yeah. um, 
the people who actually go on about cancel culture, like, for example, John Cleese has become of late someone who just goes on about cancel culture. They're also terrible people. They're also right. people I cannot stand. Exactly. We're not going on about We're just making jokes about like people being canceled because it happens right. to be in the zeitgeist right now. But like in general, um, people who try and cancel people and then people who just go, well, I can't say anything anymore because of cancel culture. You, you can say whatever you want. You just can't be an asshole anymore. No, no, but I want to be able to say the N-word on everything that I do and just be allowed to say it. That's all. We, when you say you're not allowed to say anything, all we hear in our heads is people saying the N-word. That's all they want to say and they're not allowed to. Well, we used to be able to say it in the 1950s. I'm like, well, yeah, you used to be able to. You know, people used to be able to do lots of things in the 1950s that they're not allowed to do now. So let's move on. So that's all we hear when people are talking about like, well, you know, I can't even go on a college campus anymore without being canceled. I'm like, John, you're 80, whatever it is. Lie, lie down and snuggle with your cats. Nobody gives a fuck what you've got to say. I mean, what's hilarious, there was there was um, a friend of mine posted about John Cleese recently because John Cleese, again, is just kind of going on a bunch of British talk, sh talk shows and being an asshole. Um, just for the sake of just to tarnish the legacy of one of the, you know, he's only one of the funniest people to have ever existed. Let me just dump all over that legacy. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it's like when Terry Gilliam came out and was like, uh, another thing I don't understand about trans people. You're like, Terry, nobody, like, dude, nothing needed to be said. No one was asking you. No one was beating Terry Gilliam's door down and going, what do you think about uh, um, the Me Too movement? Nobody asked. In fact, everyone had forgotten Terry Gilliam was even still alive. So, except us who love his movies, but it's just funny how people just go and say shit. It's nothing to do with them about anything. That's what I find hilarious. So Cleese going on about cancel culture. I'm like, really, Cleese? How many 19-year-olds are asking John Cleese to come to their college campus and talk about? Seriously, like, like I think just his, just Cambridge, like just his alma mater is probably the only people who are asking Cleese. But you're not getting someone at like I don't know uh, Luton University or Birmingham University or whatever, some university in England uh, full of 18-year-olds being like, who should we have as our speaker? Uh, you know, should we? Should we have some current, up-to-the-minute, cutting-edge, uh, sexy celebrity? Or no, some John Cleese is going to complain about the fact that he can't wear blackface anymore or something. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, well, it's going to be like, how blue is John Cleese going to work doing a commencement speech at Cambridge? Like, what is he going right. to say? I always feel, the way, the way that I feel about cancel culture is that the, the way we know cancel culture doesn't exist is that Mel Gibson's still able to make movies. Right. Uh, yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. Mel Gibson can make movies tells me that there is no such thing as cancel culture. Um, and but but I think like I think like the Morgan Spurlock thing. I think he was canceled because I think he, it was a sexual assault thing. So I think in his case it was oh, uh, yeah. was it really wasn't a good thing. I, I shouldn't be talking uh, like about those kinds of things. Like, what's not, I mean like, I don't know how many people listen to the, this podcast that might be, be like, oh, who's out there saying horrible things about Morgan Spurlock? You're gonna get sued for libel or or slander or whatever. But I I think that's what it was. I think it was like right. I think he was inappropriate with somebody. Uh, so. Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, we'll just put allegedly before allegedly, everything. Right, right. So, so stop the podcast. Allegedly before everything we just said. Exactly. <laughs> even though a lot of it was fact, and then allegedly everything now, and then we're we're clear. That's exactly. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but but uh, no, I mean the the, the, the cancel culture thing. It, it to to be honest is uh, the the only the only problem I have. I have no problem with someone saying. You know, I don't want to watch the celebrities' movies anymore. I don't want to listen to the celebrities' music anymore because of X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. Whether it's whether it's a legitimate offense like a sexual assault or something terrible like that, or whether it's just because they found a photograph of them from 1985 
you know, doing an Al Jolson impression or something. Like, whatever the reason you personally have chosen. My problem is then when people take to Twitter about it. Well, I just, you know, I, it's funny. I was just editing the podcast about Demonoid that I did with my friend Kirk Halley back from January. And in it, the subject were, came up about, like, the Joe Rogan and everyone canceling Spotify because Joe Rogan had inaccurate information about vaccines on his show and Spotify was paying him millions of dollars. So everyone canceled their Spotify accounts, right? Do whatever you want to do in order to protest whatever you think is worthwhile protesting. I have no problem about it. You do not need to take to Twitter. Well, I canceled my Spotify. Well, lardy fucking die. I don't get. I don't care. You know what I mean? I choose not to eat Chick-fil-A, but the, I don't go on to, oh, well, I chose... Look at me driving past a Chick-fil-A and not going in. Well, nobody cares, right? So that's the first thing. It's the value signaling that people try and do. People are like, look at me, look at me, I'm a good person. You know, yeah. meanwhile, they're ignoring their children and, yes. you know, dumping massive amounts of garbage in the landfills and buying iPhones that are assembled by children in China, whatever it is. You know what I mean? But no, Joe Rogan, who isn't a healthcare professional, uh, and isn't even a particularly entertaining podcaster, had some incorrect information about vaccines. Not a healthcare show, not not a, not a news show, not, not anything that you should be taking any healthcare advice from. But no, because he has inaccurate information on his show, which is, by the way, his legal right. He can say whatever the fuck he wants under the terms of the First Amendment, unless Spotify says, don't say that anymore. If he's got a corporate overlord and Spotify says, don't do it anymore, fine. That's That's, a, that's, a, that's also perfectly fine. But people canceling Joe Rogan or canceling Spotify or doing whatever, it's obviously fine. Just don't tell me about it because I don't give a I don't give a fuck, right? I mean, you cannot exist in 2022 without something that you own being tainted by uh, either child labor, sex trafficking, violence towards women, you know, oppression of minorities, everything. I don't care whether you know whatever you buy in a store because if you go to the real cheap stores, the non-branded, yeah. non-corporate stuff. That's put together by, you know, failing ill children in Indonesia political and prisoners in political China. prisoners and yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. um, or if you go to the branded stores and buy all the corporate stuff, then similarly, it's either made in sweatshops or it was made by a bunch of people who are thoroughly underpaid, who don't have health care benefits, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing you can get or buy or consume or whatever that isn't tainted by something. Right. So that's the first thing. And there isn't any celebrity creator artist whatever from the last 150 years 200 years 500 years whatever that hasn't done something at all, like hasn't drunk too much hasn't hit someone they shouldn't have hit hasn't slept with someone they shouldn't have slept with you know i'd hate to announce tell these people what paul mccartney got up to when he was 15 16 17 18 but oh no cutesy lovely cherubi paul mccartney the world's fucking uncle everyone loves him but he was you know he fucked around for like right. a good 10 years before he met Linda, yeah. stuck his wick in about as much as everything he could. So you'll never find anyone who's not tainted, right? But if you choose to cancel someone, go ahead, cancel someone for your own reasons. I don't need to hear about it. That's that's the first thing. I, I do not care to hear about it. And secondly, um, this idea that we can no longer say what we want to say or do what we want to do is completely false. Um, and uh, as, as long as you're not a dick, as long as you're not really and there look and there are some people who get the other thing is also be aware that it's a minority right what happens is bunch of minority a bunch of people in the minority get upset about something same thing used to happen with banning videos and banning rap music or whatever the media who are always looking for a tree to shake 
and always looking for just something to piss everyone off with, grab hold of this story, uh, put it as large as it possibly can on every single media site everywhere and shakes the tree till there's no more coconuts in it. And then they go on to the next thing. And 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 that's it. They The voices that are amplified right now and, and the voices that have been amplified forever are always the wrong voices. Yeah. So that's the other thing to take into account with, with cancel culture. So I just kind of, I, I ignore all of it. The only thing that came out um, recently, and this is to do with podcasting and you and me and whatever, was off the back of that, and I talk about this in my latest episode, but, so I'll try not to repeat myself, but off the back of the Joe Rogan Spotify thing or whatever, I'm assuming, when I went to upload some episodes later in the year, March, April, May, Spreaker did suddenly have like a make sure the content of your show um, fulfills our terms and conditions, doesn't go against our terms and conditions. And I was like, huh. And when you go to the terms and conditions and I looked at it, it's it's very fair and it's coming from a good place. And it's just like treat everyone nicely and try and be kind about people and blah, 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 blah. But again, all of that is open to interpretation. And secondly, um, Unless uh, unless you weren't in any way making money off my show, and Spreaker is because they put adverts on my show and they take the bulk of the, the money from those adverts. Um, if you weren't making money off it, uh, then, you know, uh, by all means, have an opinion. But if you're making money off it, then whatever continues to make you money should be fair game. Yeah. Um, now, if you were if you were paying me, you were my boss. That's a different matter. You can tell me what I meant to say and what I meant to think. So the only place that cancel culture worries me is when um, the internet, which is something of a wild west still, thankfully, uh, where you can upload whatever show you want, you can upload whatever music you want, you, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, if it slowly begins to become regulated to the point where uh, even little guys like us are getting scrutinized about what we say. Th I think that would be, I would find that to be problematic because it's the line between censorship and freedom of speech. Um, and that's what I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried about where it escalates to. I'm not worried about where it is right now. There's always been people saying, I don't think that my children should be listening to rude words on rap music or whatever it is. But, I, you know, and those people need to be shot and put in mass graves somewhere. But, it, you know... <laughs> Because <laughs> they don't care about their children. Yeah. They care about people thinking they're good people. They don't care about what their children hear at all. Because their children are going to grow up to be drug addicts and rapists and yeah. you know bankers and all the bad people that exist on the planet. Their children are going to grow up to become those people as well. Uh, it doesn't matter what they listen to as a kid. Um, but because they had those types of parents. Um, but they don't care about their parents. They care they their children. They care about how good they look. I don't care about how good I look, Matt. You might have noticed. <laughs> I am the same. I'm the same, right? Yeah. Because, I, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, I, 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 for example, try to, I'm trying to get to a point where maybe I'm a little bit closer to, to vegetarian, where I kind of, you know, or I kind of, if there's a vegetarian option, I'll choose it just because I'm a person who likes animals and it does feel kind of contradictory. But, um, you know, for example, lamb, um, you know, I think lambs are, are, you know, they're cute. They're adorable animals, and I feel guilty eating them. But today I was at Reading Terminal Market here in Philadelphia. I passed the Greek shop, and oh, I had to get a hero. And, yeah, and I ate it, and I felt guilty after. 
But that's why you don't see me on Twitter saying anybody who eats lamb is a horrible person. You hate right. cute, adorable animals. You, right. you deserve to die for doing that. The reason why I don't do that is because I know myself. I know I'm yeah. a weak human being. I don't have, you know. And, and, and also part of the guilt and part of the shame, yeah. that's, that's why it tastes so good. Exactly. You know what I mean? The, the guilt and the shame are part of the... <laughs> The collection, like when you when you bite into, and I love, I mean, lamb is just lamb and duck, you yeah. know what I mean, and veal. Nice. Like yeah. all the bad meats are just yes. like foie gras, yeah. and I hate to sound like bloody da foie gras, <laughs> like whatever. It's <laughs> fuck, I get it. It's a punsy, whatever. Right. But they feed the geese to bursting, right? right? And they right. expand their livers or whatever, and then they kill them and they make this amazing pate that melts in your mouth, and it's incredible, right. and it's incredibly cruel to the goose. And I agree. I like animals, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, part of the guilt and shame in, in, in eating foie gras is, is, is part of why it tastes so good. However, I, I'm, 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 I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not, I've not cut out any bad food habits. But as I push into my 40s and I, I wake up uh, feeling, um, you know, uh, in pain, uh, a lot of the time, um, and I don't start to feel human till about one or two in the afternoon, um, because my joints are still unseizing and my gut is still figuring out whether it wants to shit itself or not. I, I should probably cut out uh, some of the food that I'm I have been known to eat, and I'll get around to it, Matt. Probably about a month before I die. <laughs> exactly, but. It's the problem. But no, I take your point. I do take yeah. your point. Jokes aside. I mean, McDonald's is another one. I mean, Popeye's chicken, you know, that's one thing. That, here in Philadelphia, a lot of the, um, in the city, a lot of the McDonald's closed during the pandemic. And, but the Popeye's chickens stayed open. Oh, they so, kept going. They, right. There's no stopping Popeye. No, no. They're no. Just, they've got millions of chickens on farms that they're just overfeeding and killing and frying them up. And it's just perfect. And oh, it tastes so good. Yeah, and so the smell of McDonald's fries has now been replaced with the smell of Popeye's fried chicken. <laughs> chicken right. And it's like every time you walk by, it's like a good three-block radius that you can smell this chicken, and um, it's it's potent. And um, yeah. you know, I think they recently raised the price of their chicken sandwich, but for a while, I could get a chicken sandwich for like five bucks. Five bucks and, for a chicken sandwich. And it, it completely killed the purpose of any of my walks because I would be going out for a walk <laughs> to try to like burn calories, and yeah. I would just put those calories right back in. Um, right. with that, you know, um, but you shouldn't feel too bad, Matt, is what right. I'm trying to say, because, exactly. you know, as we've established, everything is tainted. Everything mm -hmm. is tainted. No one is a perfect human being, no. uh, uh, least of all us. And we're not claiming to be. Um, and so, you know, and, and again, with the world the way it is, and people might be like, that's just a cop out, John. You have to seize the day and be positive, whatever. Listen, I bought myself a compound. I'm up in the wilds and woods of New England. <laughs> And and everyone else can go fuck off. Like I'm not, you know what I mean. Uh, I'm not being defeatist. I'm happy. I've had the greatest year of my life. Like I uh, seriously. And everyone else is having a terrible time. I have the greatest year of my life. And I, do I feel guilty about that? Sure. But also, do I realize that you know you've got to find your joy where you can? Yes, 100%. So yeah. find your joy where you can, Matt. Is is the message that I give to people. I'm not all doom and gloom. Yeah. I'm not all doom and gloom. No, Have a Popeye's I, chicken sandwich if the mood takes you and <laughs> kill a baby goat and, and, and fuck a lamb, whatever you need to do to get by. Because, you know, they're all just here as our, our, our for our entertainment. You know what I mean? You could be, you, could be, you know, waging wars or blowing people up for, for no good reason. Uh, you, you know, you could be um, 
Oh, one of the things I wanted to mention, the things we talk about celebrity bullshit because uh, we love to rag on on celebrities because they're the worst. Um, I don't know if you've seen recently, but Florence Pugh, the actor Florence Pugh, um, is in this new movie coming out with Harry. What's his name from? Was he in One Direction? Harry Styles was he in One Direction? I I have no idea who he is. I just I see him. <laughs> no idea. Front of them. I think he no. wore a dress to a Met Gala or something. Everybody yeah, thought it was the greatest thing ever. Um, that's well, what I know. people don't remember what Elton John used to wear in the seventies, so they're right. all like, "Oh my God, he's such a trendsetter." I'm like, right. "It's or or David Bowie or right. anyone like yeah." Or the guitarist from Smashing Pumpkins in yeah. today video, right? Exactly, right? right. Yeah. Or yeah, nobody remembers the eighties when I mean, like, it, like it's like these kids think that they've invented um, right gender fluidity or fluidity. Yeah. And it's right. like, have you ever seen a Human League video from the 80s? Um, right. Exactly. Looks like in the videos. Like, he was, exactly. he was, you know, he was. He Did was, you ever say, have you ever seen like paintings of Shakespearean and Elizabethan times? Like <laughs> men literally wore dresses. So anyway, um, but the, the, the so she's done a new movie with him, right? And it's directed by Olivia Wilde. And uh, he, Olivia Wilde used to be married to Jason Stakus. And everyone loves Jason Stakers because of Ted Lasso, and they believe him to be really Ted Lasso. Uh, <laughs> and they believe Olivia Wilde to be the worst person on the planet because she shacked up with Harry Styles. Right. Uh, and now she's going out with him, right? Anyway, right. she's gone ahead and made a movie uh, in which him and Florence Pugh, uh, who's an upcoming actor who was in uh, um, uh, Fighting With My Family and uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Black Widow and various other movies, um, and she's great, whatever, she's a good actor. Um, uh, there's a lot of sex scenes in this film, right? With, with the two of them, right? Um, also, she, Florence Pugh, has just broken up with Zach Braff. I don't know I don't know how she ended up with Zach Braff or what, what uh, stone he crawled out from under and went, hello, I'm still a thing. I don't know how that happened, but she was dating Zach Braff for a long time, apparently. Yes. Yeah. Do you know how I know about this this whole thing? Because it, it? It, no. well, it, well, it was on Twitter. Well, it was on Twitter, but it was it was on Twitter. Right. It was a shared interview. I think she was in uh, Volvo or one of these magazines. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Labia, the the monthly magazine for people who talk. <laughs> Whatever it was, or I think it's just called Flaps or something. Anyway, um, <laughs> she was in one of these magazines. Right, where where she was paid to wear, you know, million dollar clothes and have photographs of her breasts taken and whatever. Yeah. And during this interview, which has been wildly quoted, widely quoted and wildly, widely and wildly <laughs> quoted, um, during this interview, she says two things. Right, the the first thing she goes is, you know, I try to have relationships in private. I I didn't want anyone to know that me and Zach Braff had broken up. We tried to do it quietly, right? But Zach Braff and I have broken up. I don't know if you know this, but Zach Braff and I have broken up, <laughs> even though I tried to do it quietly, right? The only way I even knew she was dating Zach Braff is that she mentioned it in an interview that they had broken up. It's the only way I didn't, uh, prior to that, I had no knowledge, interest, whatever. The only way I knew about it is because she said something. Yeah. And then the other quote she's done, which is great, is she goes, she goes, all anyone can talk about is the sex scenes in the new movie, the movie where I have lots of sex scenes with Harry Styles, the movie that where I have sex scenes with Harry Styles. So Harry Styles is one of the most famous people on the planet, even though you and I don't even know where he comes from or why. Uh, he, he, he has sex scenes with me. Why is everyone talking about this? There's a lot better things in the movie. And I'm like, everyone's talking about it because you 
won't stop mentioning about how everyone keeps talking about it. And the media won't stop promoting the movie based on the sex scenes. If it unless unless they are so relevant to the plot, right? Unless they are so unless they drive the action, unless the action is like I have to keep having sex with Florence Pugh or Florence like it's a speed type scenario. And if she stops orgasming for even five minutes, she dies. So Harry starts like unless that's the plot of the movie, right? Maybe don't put all the sex scenes in it. Right. And if you do put all the sex scenes in it, don't be surprised when the marketing campaign revs up and goes, who wants to see Harry Styles' penis? <laughs> or Florence Pugh's breasts? Like, it, it's this idea of, you know, don't, don't talk to me, I shun media attention, while right. giving a long-ranging, in-depth interview in which you talk about everything you don't want the media to know about. And yeah. like, do you know what you could have done? You could have A, not given the interview and B, shut the fuck up. That could have been, exactly. and then we would have been none the wiser. <laughs> this would be like Donna Spear in like 1992 saying, yeah, I did this Andy Sidaris movie. Yes, I took my top off. Why is everybody talking about me doing a topless hot top yeah. scene? Did you know right. this movie has hotless top hot, uh, <laughs> hotless hot love scene? I can't. Hotless top, uh, yeah, topless hot tub scene. Yeah. Yes, but you know it's like yeah, it, it's it's amazing. Like so, the the Zach Braff thing is funny because um, so my wife Jen has been introducing me to Scrubs, so we I've been watching Scrubs. Right, okay. I'd never really seen it before. The one thing I noticed about the show is that anytime uh, a popular actress from the time guest stars on the show, it's only a matter of how long into that episode that Zach Braff's character starts having sex with her. Right. Like, yeah. oh, here's Tara Reid. Okay, we're going to have sex. Heather Graham. Oh, they extended that a few episodes before he had sex with her, you know? And it's right. like every single one of them he has sex with. Oh, you know, Turk's wife, Carla. They're Eventually they've got a kiss because Zach Braff can't have an actress on the show that he doesn't hook up with at some point. And right. so when when she told me that he was dating someone who was like 21 years his junior, I wasn't surprised. I imagine he's going to be maybe – I feel like he has the potential to be a less creepy – more charming James Woods type as he gets older. Um, that's my, my, my thinking perhaps with him. But then, like, she told me he was dating, then I'm on Twitter. Cut to 2040 and Zach Braff is like, Donald Trump was the real overlord of everything. I don't know what, you know, suddenly becomes like a horrible right-wing militant. Right, exactly, yeah. But I, I so when I saw on Twitter that they had split up, and I didn't know it was this woman, Florence Pugh, and then until you met, yeah. you know, but I, I just remember seeing, like, it was, like, this thing about them breaking up and the picture of him. He looked he looked older in the picture than, um, I know he's only, like, a few years older, but he seemed like he was, you know. 78 or 9. He, he yeah, looked like he was, James, he was James Spader's age or something yeah. like that. Like, you know, yeah. he's, you know, right, like he could be co-starring with James Spader. But, you know, but <laughs> it's, but it's like. It's like this whole thing of like, like the show's funny. I, I enjoy. The I hope show. they never cancel James Spader. You know no. what I mean? Yeah. If they looked into his past even for two minutes, they would right. cancel everything yeah. because right. you know he has wiped his filthy, sleaze-ridden pubis <laughs> on everything that moved between 1982 and 1998. But I, I don't mind that. That's the appeal yeah. of James Spader. Yes. Um, just as long as he didn't do it against anyone's will. Yeah. But is there any such thing in the world as against anyone's will where James Spader is concerned? Because yeah. I even I would let him. Like honestly, yeah. Sp- even now with his big rotund face and shaved head and <laughs> trilby hats and little scarves and right. drinking coffee t- out of tiny cups and swanning about, even that James Spader, I'm I'm down for. Yes. I for, for <laughs> me, I I think I remember when I first saw Pretty in Pink and he you know he's in that movie, and I know I was supposed to not like him. Maximum sleaze in that. Yeah, 
I, I'm watching this and I'm told that I'm supposed to like, which I, I don't know why, why I'm supposed to like John Cryer's character because he was a stalker and everything yeah. that he does. Now they have PSAs telling kids that if your if your boyfriend is doing what John Cryer did in Pretty in Pink, that's not healthy. And you probably need to get out of that and tell somebody that this person's not. 100%, you know, especially as, as Ducky was quite clearly homosexual. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and even there was no, no. And I'm, everyone's like, oh, judging. About, and I'm not judging anybody. There was literally an ending to the movie where he was going to be gay. Anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. But, but no, but, um, but, but, you know, Spader's character was just like with the, the hair and the suits and the sleaziness. Yeah. He looks and, like a 30 year old Wall Street type in the middle of high school. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's just yeah, incredible. Yeah, and I think that was that was that was how I I think the, that movie and I think I saw that movie and sec because you know I saw Pretty in Pink later on. You know, of course, it wasn't like right when it came out. I was right. a little bit but isn't think, Pretty in Pink the Pretty Pink is the one with Andrew McCarthy as the love yes. like Blaine, it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So what is mad about Pretty in Pink? <laughs> yeah. What is absolutely insane about Pretty is James Spader and Andrew McCarthy are basically the same people. They cut cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Come from the same backgrounds, same mm-hmm. floppy hair, same, you know, uh, 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 rapist, banker, fathers, you know, same entitled, priggish, idiot. But if you line the two of them up, you'd be on Spader all day, every day. And Andrew McCarthy, you'd use when you needed to get to sleep. Right. You know what I mean? Could you sit by my bedside and read me a story? <laughs> well, and, and, another, and another time when I wasn't very interesting in a movie. <laughs> You know, whatever. And I love Andrew McCarthy. Don't get me wrong. Andrew McCarthy's fantastic. But at the same time, he's vanilla and pale and awful as anything. And I'm just saying, cut from the same cloth, same kind of people. The fact that you give McCarthy the time of day and not Spader. Ringwald, uh, you know, especially as Ringwald at the time, Ginge. Uh, uh, And and James Spader at the time, Strawberry Ginge. Not quite Ginge, but kind of like Strawberry Blonde. Strawberry Blonde kind of, right? He had a little Ginge. Mate within your own uh, sect, Ringwald, is all I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I think Andrew McCarthy's most exciting scene in any movie that I've ever seen was when uh, Judd Nelson was hanging him over a ledge in St. Elmo's Fire. I think no, I would, would say that prior to that scene, it's the scene where he's having sex with Ali Sheedy on top of a coffin, right. and Ali Sheedy refuses to remove her pearls. That's, That's- right. That's, That's right. the, the most exciting scene. Oh, that and him playing bongos to Aretha Franklin. I mean, who doesn't love that? Who doesn't want to see the whitest man to have ever been on film wearing a trilby hat, dark glasses, and playing bongos to Aretha Franklin? The 80s were really, mad. just another time. The, the another 80s time. were, I think, you know, it, I think for us as, as, as individuals who were born at the you know end of the 70s, early 80s, where it was like, all we knew was this 80s world. And yes. and yes, you know, you get these these flashbacks to, you know, you get like, you know, um, you know, old TV shows and things like that to get a sense of what the world was like before. But to be like in that world as someone who was forming a sense of identity and an understanding of like what this this place, this planet is that it exists, you know, and all of that to be in and amongst that thing. Um, right. It, and also, it's fascinating to see now, like how it's depicted in popular culture. Like it just seems like now it's just all neon and and yeah. you know Pizza Hut sun um, you know sunglasses or whatever. And it's like, no, it was this world in the eighties that was. It, well, people never talk about how brown the eighties right? yes. were and how gray. <laughs> yeah. the 80s. Everyone thinks that everyone just wore neon pop socks and went into like brightly colored uh, uh, fast food restaurants and. Right. 
danced around and played computer games. <laughs> there, there was some, I mean, man, there was some of that. That's not yeah. to be denied. But like mostly, you know, what people forget is decades bleed into each other. So what right. we call the 80s is really about 84, 85 through to yeah. like 92, 93. That's really right. what we're talking about. Um, the 70s were a big part of the 80s. Yeah. Like if you look at any pictures of me, yeah. From either baby to when I first went to junior school, it's yeah. all brown. Everything is brown <laughs> and orange and and beige and gray, like all of it. Uh, the clothes were, the whatever, the hairstyles, everything. Couches were brown. Couches, everything. Yeah. Everything was brown. And it all had a rich smell yeah. of like tobacco and plastic. Everything smelt of like plastic covered tobacco drenched yes. uh, brownness. Yes. And, and old old stale beer from like yes. beer cans of like, yeah. like wounded so you know that kind of thing yeah yeah exactly yeah. and that's how it should be Matt that's that's <laughs> uh, that's how it should be yeah um, but uh, unfortunately it's not unfortunately people like to believe that the eighties were just like you know uh, wacky and fun and neon right. filled and every day was a holiday and we, you know everyone at school was wonderful and whatever what I what I most like about the eighties is um, that it has given us uh, such a signpost of what not to become right. in the visage of John Cusack. Right. And what I mean by that is in the 80s and 90s, Cusack, vibrant, young, creative, intelligent, on the edges of society, funky. Everybody wanted to be Lloyd Dobler. Everyone wanted to be Lloyd Dobler. He was the he was the new era of gentleman slash punk teen that everyone wanted to be. He had he had he was respectful to people. He yeah. was intelligent. He would, but he knew the best music. He was into kickboxing. He knew Don the Dragon yeah. Wilson personally. <laughs> yeah. Like who doesn't love John Cusack in the eight? Right. And in the nineties, he's proselytizing about music and about yeah. movies and hanging out with Jack Black and Tim Robbins, doing a whole bunch of great stuff and creative whatever. And then slowly and surely as he gets older and looks more like my grandmother and he has more and more face tucks and weird hair implants and refuses to give up the Ramones t-shirt. And just as it goes on at once, by the time you get to must love dogs, John Cusack, this is even, I'm not even talking about his descent into like B movie anonymity <laughs> Pol yeah. political bullshit which again you know political john cusack uh, just shoot me now right. i mean just the most yawn worthy irritating instagram presence there's ever been oh my god john what's what's this next fucking cause celeb you're taking out oh my god someone hit him with a brick but um the the descent from if anyone is heralded that you know you should really move on a little bit and broaden your horizons a little bit you know, because John Cusack in, is still wearing and talking about like the Ramones in Serendipity. And I'm like, look, th it's over, John. <laughs> the punks have come and gone. <laughs> You're part of the mainstream now, dude. You're in a fucking Kate Beckinsale rom-com. Enough already. In Must Love Dogs, he's hanging around making old canoes out of like teak and pine and wearing fucking, you know, uh, Sex Pistols t-shirts. I'm like... You're in a Diane Lane rom-com called Must Love Dogs, dude. It's time to give it up. Like, no one's, we've all, like, it was fine. But no, like, no. And there he is polishing his teak canoe and wearing his Ramones T-shirt and whatever. And I'm just like, and, you know, and then he slipped into B-movie uh, uh, 
Abyss, uh, which there's a couple of good ones. Like Bagman is perfectly decent uh, uh, and has a great cast and a good thriller kind of 90s things to do in Denver throwback kind of thriller movie. I like that one. Uh, Grand Piano was ridiculous, but at least it was sort of knew what it was, ridiculous, whatever, and, and jokey and whatever. But everything else he's done. Like, just let's not. So my uh, cry out to the 80s and 90s children of the world is use John Cusack as a as a way not to be but i but matt as i sit here i i fear the kusakation of myself as a as a as a zennial or as a as a gen xer i see myself you know give up the band t-shirts i can't give up the band t-shirts matt i'll keep wearing them give up the you know i'm surrounded by movies and music and musical instruments and posters and stuff i just can't give it up so i myself am being kusacked as we speak so it is funny. You know what it is with the Cusackification? What you don't want to be is in Juno, right? You don't want to be Jason Bateman right. with a high school chick showing right. off no. Sonic Youth's cover of Superstar by no. the Camp Carpenters. When you get into that Cusack level, that's probably maybe Juno was the, it was like a, that was a commentary on the Cusackification. That of, would be wonderful if if Cusack had played Bateman's role. That really would have right. typified it. I really do think because exactly. um, you're right. This is the reason why me as a a, a, a proud Gen X slash Daniel, whatever you want to call me, um, I never hung out with uh, hipsters. Right. Because hipsters are the twenty somethings who carry around vinyl. And yeah. talk about vinyl as an affectation. Yeah, I don't hang out with it. I don't want to be like, uh, "Hey, kid, do you want to see a Cynthia Rothrock movie or whatever?" Right. Like, exactly. I'm not doing it to be. Um, again, we're not on Twitter being like, "Hey, look at me! I know who Pam Greer is." Like, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I do say that on Twitter, but I. But I'm also not on. You know, I'm joking. Yeah. But you know, I, I'm just saying. It, just because another generation came up behind us who right. believe they know everything we know, but they don't because they weren't there. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because it never happened to my father's generation. There right. weren't like 20 somethings growing up being like, I want to know Glenn Miller. Like that wasn't, you know what I mean? Like people weren't like, Hey, have you got the latest uh, Glenn Miller 78? Like that wasn't a, you know what I mean? Not even 33 or 45. They're going 78, Matt. They're going way, way back. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny, too, because I think the one thing about, like, our generation and maybe, you know, previous ones is that, like, I would never tell my parents what things were like in the 60s or 70s that, like, I think younger generations are willing to tell people what it was like in the 80s and 90s, you know, and it's like, like, I, I you know, I'm, you know, my great grandfather, I'm not going to be like, yeah, I know what it was like being in the lost generation and, you know wandering around during the depression trying to find work it must you know yeah i i don't right. you know and i think that's probably the most fascinating thing and i guess part of it is it's it's going to be interesting to see because you know like history is now like uh you know we're, we're now like being able to say that the things that we liked like you know the movies we're going to talk about you know the rage and honor movies they're, they're essentially history they're 30 years old at this point they're they're as old as you know in the 80s that you know um movies like i don't know um can't think of too many movies that came out in the 50s that were, you know, I think of movies in the 40s, but, but I mean, yeah, you think of like a Citizen Kane that came out in 1940. Right. You know, it, it, you know, um, it, it wasn't as old at that time. And I guess that that's kind of, you know, that. Well, I that's think, what I mean. No one was going on. I mean, I don't know. As I grew up in the eight, I, I think this is the difference as well, is that, um, the 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 memory now <clears throat> or the or the the information now is so selective 
Yeah. Right. So, uh, and again, it's why we're seeing um, the Stranger Things version of the '80s rather yes. than the real '80s. It's because it's what it's whatever they've been sold as whatever the second. And it was the same with us. Like if yeah. all you ever watched was the Woodstock documentary and the Beatles right. on top of Abbey Road and you know a Back bunch of future. stuff that right or Back to the Future, whatever, a bunch of stuff that only happened in. Uh, uh, London, San Francisco, L.A., or New York, right. you would think the 60s was just an endless stream of, <laughs> you know, fascinating, uh, exciting, you know, innovative stuff. Yeah. But really, with the, you know, we're only talking about four or five cities. Like, my, the best example of this is my mom grew up in London during the 60s, and, and, and knew everything that was going on was there when the Beatles played Abbey Road Rooftop, went to the Isle of Wight Festival, like, was a whole... She was a card-carrying 60s hippie, part of the scene, Carnaby Street, London, the whole bit, right? My dad, who grew up like an hour out of London in like a quaint little, uh, not Midwest town, but Midlands town, um, and did a job for like the local bank, uh, driving around in a brown car with a guy named Teddy doing inspections. He was on the bank inspection staff. He didn't know anything about the Beatles or about the Rolling Stones or... Jimmy Henry, they were like none. That wasn't in his world, and he was way more people than you know were in the hippie movement. So it's like if you weren't on Hate Ashbury, you know, if you lived in uh, um, uh, I, I don't know what's if you lived in Oregon yeah. in the '60s. So if you're in Medford, Oregon, right. you know, about two three hours north of San Francisco. You know, you're not, and maybe that's a bad example because a lot of hippies moved up to Oregon, but I don't know. You know what I'm saying, though? If you're yeah. two, three hours out from the epicenter of whatever big, you know, peace and love, drug-fueled gangbang is happening, <laughs> you might as well be on Mars because right. if you're not right in the center of the gangbang with all holes filled, what's the, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, but I, mean, I mean, one of the fascinating things I see with sort of people who have the nostalgia of growing up in the 80s is, I think one of the areas where people who grew up in the UK and people who grew up in America have in common about the 80s is that you had Reagan in the US, you had Thatcher in England and in the UK, and they were kind of similar politically. And so there leads to, I think, some similarities in sort of like what people experienced well, that. To be honest, Matt, it's not just that. It's the fact that the 80s became, although that was obviously, you know, them and Gorbachev and that yeah. whole, like that, that's still iconic, right? Yeah. Sort of the last time we had those real iconic kind of presidencies but and, and, and politicians. But um, you have a situation where for really uh, the first time since the 50s, and the reason why kind of Back to the Future exploits both the 80s and the 50s, it's the first time in since the 50s that American culture pervades England in quite that way. Yeah. In the 60s and 70s, you have an exchange. There's as much English culture coming over here as there is American culture going over there. And not everything is being put on credit card or being run by Wall Street or whatever. By the time you get to 80s, it's the, you know, it's the banker generation, it's the credit card generation, it's the, it's, it's everything is now going through, you know, New York replaces London to some extent as the center of the financial world. Um, and, you know, uh, all commercials on British TV start to be, for Pepsi and Coke and McDonald's and whatever. It like if my memory of the 80s is anything, it's it's just the Americanization of Americanization of uh, uh, British things. And I wasn't against that. I've never been against that. I, I, that's, I always say this. 
Without America, you don't have modern movies. You don't have rock and roll music, blues music, jazz music, punk music, whatever. Say what you like about America. The culture of the 20th century and the culture of the 21st century is American. You either make peace with that or you don't. And there's lots of reasons why it's American and some of it is slavery and some of it's bad and some of it's whatever, but it's American. Whether you like it or not, the, the pervading sense in the 20th and 21st century is American and it is what it is. Um, and the Brits can try and hold on to some feds. Well, you know, we had the Beatles. You don't have the Beatles without Elvis Presley or without, uh, uh, you know, Fats Domino or whatever. So don't try and pretend, right? So it is what it is. And each each culture informed each other, right? So the Beatles started out, as I said, based on Elvis or whatever, and then Dylan came along and the Beach Boys came along and the Beatles were like, oh, we hear that and let's spit it back to you. And then, you know, the Beatles came out with some heavier stuff and Led Zeppelin started. And yeah, it all sort of informed each other. But um, come the 80s, all the big movies, all the big movies are uh, American. All the big... Uh, music artists or 90% of the big music artists are mostly American. Um, the American t uh, British TV shows start to look American. Uh, all, you know, all that American novels start to get taught in school. Like we were taught on the road and various other stuff. So like you, you, uh, that's what to my way of thinking, like typifies the eighties for me um, growing up and, and even the nineties, because it, you know, by the time 90s rolled around, like Channel 4, which was sort of the fourth channel that came about in the UK in 1986, which started off doing a lot of its own original programming. Channel 4's Friday nights, one of the most popular nights on television in the UK in the 90s, was like Friends, Frasier. You know, it was all the the stuff that was coming over from uh, the, the US. I grew up watching... Uh, uh, the A-Team and the Hulk and Wonder Woman and all those, uh, Dukes of Hazard, all those shows that were regular shows over here were like Saturday night, uh, early tea time shows in the UK. So we would watch A-Team and, and, and all those shows all the time. And then after that kind of Baywatch and, and those other shows that kind of replaced them. So all that stuff, it became, you know, the Americanization of the UK um, really hit its... its uh, Zenith in the 80s. Um, and it didn't mean that there weren't like British films being made and there wasn't British TV shows being made and there isn't something, but but it was predominantly uh, America. And, um, and that was reflected in the politics and it was reflected in the banking and it was reflected in everything, really. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting when you talk about the music part of it because you know, for me, a lot of what I remember is, is, you know, either MTV or MTV influenced. And in the early 80s, when MTV first started, it was it had a, a racist past. The mindset was we're only playing white acts because we want to uh, appease college white guy bro culture. You know, a bunch of white guys with mullets and tight jeans and, and you know, white high top sneakers. And so because there were only so many American acts that had videos at that time, they were just pulling everything from England and all of those acts. And so that's where Duran Duran, I mean, Duran Duran was played twice an hour. I mean, you know, Hungry Like the Wolf would be twice an hour or something. Um, but finally, I think the American, uh, you know, the, the music companies in America were like, okay, well, listen, you want to play our white acts? Then you got to play Michael Jackson or you got to play Prince. Right. And and then they started playing, which is funny because now MTV had the reputation in the late 80s as being the ones that really brought rap to the mainstream. Right. Um, and, and to be honest, Duran Duran, you know they may be british but they sound that they're an american sound you know right. what i mean so a lot of those a lot of those 80s bands 
America 10. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, Clash or yeah. Sex Pistols or the specials or, yeah. right. you know, there wasn't a lot of those. I mean, they may have been yeah. played on MTV, but that that's yeah. not what they were hanging their hat on, right? So, yeah. you know, at the end of the 70s, you know, you have glam, and there's certainly some key British glam acts. Obviously, you have T-Rex, Mark Mullen, you have ELO, you have a bunch of, like, whatever, um, you know, uh, disco and and uh, uh, whatever, but predominantly punk and ska, which is sort of like when you ask a, a real British guy, like a real fucking egg case about, like, fucking music in the 80s, it's fucking punk and ska, mate. Yeah. Um, you know, t- typified sort of by, like, bands, like I said, the specials and Madness and uh, squeeze and stuff like that and the clash and uh bands like that and you know and but you take some if someone didn't tell you for example that kate bush was english you wouldn't know kate bush was english <laughs> and i don't mean that as a negative i'm just saying the music informs the music and yeah. the the music that got popular in the 80s uh the sort of pop music and the the pop adjacent because kate bush is pop but she's also yeah. kind of a singer songwriter thing doing her own thing um, and by the way, I want to use this platform to anyone who's listening. Stop. Stop with running up the hill. Just yes, stop it. Exactly. Just stop it. Yes. It's in everything. I heard it in Dunkin' stop Donuts. Stop it. I heard it in Dunkin' Donuts the other day. I've actually heard it twice in Dunkin' Donuts. We were at the Yankee game the other day, and they played it at Yankee Stadium. I'm like, <laughs> st- stop it. I know. But I was... I remember, so I remember that I never heard that song. I think the one that I heard was the the one she did with Peter Gabriel, "Don't Give Up," because I was off. So I think that's what that was. But in the '90s, and I don't you know if if you had a similar movement in in England, but in the '90s with the you know sort of the with Nirvana, Pearl Jam, it was a, ma- a matter of like who can out alternative who. You know, when right. you get into high school, and so it was like, oh, you listen to Nirvana, that's that's too mainstream for me. Oh, Oasis, that's too mainstream. No, I listen to I listen to you know Depeche Mode. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I like Violator. Oh, no, no, I don't listen to Violator. That one was too mainstream. I listen to like you know music for the masses, or you know, and and Kate Bush was in that realm. I I, I remember working with a cook who was born in the '60s, who you know was born like in the mid '60s, who was just enamored with with Kate Bush. She had like all of her videos and all that stuff, and that was kind of how I was introduced to her. But it was a sense of like. You liked Kate Bush, and you, 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 Kate Bush was like kind of one of those ones where you were like, "Yeah, no, I don't listen to Oasis or Blur. Like, I, you know, that's that's you know, that's you know, too you know, Buzz Clip on empty. No, I'm 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 much more alternative than that. I've got this whole Kate Bush. I'm much catalog. more alternative than that. I listen right. to Pulp, which right, exactly. is exactly Pulp. Right, same one. That was another one. I, I've ever had the Pulp CD. Pulp, which was the if you're if you're taking the 90s, 60s, if you if Oasis and and Blur are the Beatles and Rolling Stones of right. uh, the 90s, then Pulp is like the kinks right. or the Herman hermits or yes. like they're a bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, and, and, and I've heard people say this, but people go, well, you know, a lot of people talk about the boat Beatles and the Rolling Stones, but the kinks were the best band of the sixties. Now don't get me wrong. The kinks are a great band. They're an awesome <laughs> band, but saying they're the best band of the sixties is pretentious, <laughs> you know, fringe bullshit. The way you're just trying to be like, well, you know, I know about, it's the same thing that fucking uh, Tarantino does in, uh, um, death proof, where he's all like, he has the woman be like, Oh, you've never heard of Dave D, Bo- Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch, or whatever. And I'm like, Stop, stop. Like, we've heard of Dave D, <laughs> Dozy, Beaky, Mick and Titch, but there's a reason why they didn't crawl out of the, in the 60s with everybody else. You've managed to find one song that fits your like death proof, cool, hipster bullshit, but that's it. Like, 
You're not telling me, Tarantino, that you sit at home at night and go, instead of putting on the White Album, I'm going to put on Dave D. Dozy Beaky McIntyre. It's not the case. The White Album is a better album, period. It's not even an opinion. It's just fact. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, somebody <laughs> recently, you, you know, that these, this, the whole new thing now on Twitter is like, oh, here's this list of artists in some genre or movies in some genre or by some director or something. You can only choose so many of them. And one of them was like all these English bands. And, right. was, and you can only choose so many of them. They did a great one earlier. I just want to interrupt. Oh, yeah. Where it was Dennis Villeneuve I movies. Yes, I, and I, I just went, you can have them all because yes, they I all like, fucking suck. Yes, I liked your <laughs> reply to that. That was fantastic. Yeah. But um, the best one of those that anybody ever did was um, Mitch Lovell, the video vacuum. I think he was making fun of the whole thing. Yeah. He was like, name an actor who had a better four film run. And it was Wayne Newton in like, you know, like the running man and, you know, it's like. <laughs> License yeah. to kill and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was fantastic. So, I thought Wayne yeah, Newton. But I re it was like when, when somebody does like a thing like that, like, oh, name the best Englishman or something like that. Yeah. It's just opening up the door for people to be pretentious and say how much they don't like the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, here's the door. Okay, all the all the pretentious Beatles people that say you don't like the Beatles, but yet you right. secretly listen to Revolver or whatever. Right. Um it's, it, but it's all the same. It's the same as counterculture. It's value signaling. It's look at yes. me, look at me. I know something you don't know. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it's funny. The only reason I know that is I get accused of it. I get a, right. when I talk about um, uh, Cynthia Rothrock to bring it back. Yeah. When I talk about Cynthia Rothrock, for example, I know that there are a bunch of people who are like, yeah, but you're just saying that, blah 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 blah, right. like whatever, because you know you want to seem like. And I'm like, no, actually. Right. I'm saying that because if anybody, like we go on all the time, and especially in, in now about like strong female action leads. Right. And, and and I just re recently wrote about the 2016 Ghostbusters again to try and kind of wrestle with that movie and stuff and talk about the females performances in that, which I think are, are fantastic. Even if the movie's not good, I think they're great in it. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of people are holding on to Captain Marvel and, and, right. and Brie Larson and stuff like that. I'm talking about that. And, um, you know, I, I honestly wish that a lot of those, while I, I'm behind a lot of those things, like, sure, talk about Ripley and Aliens, talk about Linda Hamilton and Terminator, talk about Xena or Buffy or whatever you want to talk about. But, yeah. like, don't talk about it and then miss out on yeah. some someone like Cynthia Rothrock, who, to me, if there's any time to rediscover her and rediscover the fact that um, of all the... And I've said this before in many articles. I just said it in my Writing Wrongs article as well about it um, on the website. You think of, and you know better than I do, but of all the 80s and 90s guys that came out who were in action, who had releases, right? Yeah. Everyone from your Van Dams and your Seagulls right down to your Zagarinos and your, you know, Jeff Speakmans and whatever, Gary Daniels, right? Even Jeff Speakman got a studio-funded movie. Yes, yeah. Cynthia Rothrock, although she was obviously tied to Golden Harvest, which in the East was a huge movie studio and, and, and very, uh, she never had an American cinematic release for any of her movies outside of 42nd Street playing the odd martial arts movie. But that wasn't a, a release. You know, she never had a cinematic release. And she, you know, and even when she went straight to video, as, as all of her films ended up doing, there was not one uh, straight-to-video releasing that really, like, backed her. You know what I mean? She had to be attached to, like, a, a Jalal Mary or, or, right. or uh, uh, 
Right, Richard Norton, or uh, um, or God forbid, like a, a, a uh, Godfrey Ho or someone. Yeah, right. But uh, but you know, the, not just her co-stars, but I mean, yeah. um, the That's distributors right. were were you know the the more lower rent distributing houses. She you know she only did the one PM Entertainment movie. You know right. what I mean? Like why wasn't PM Entertainment hiring her for every film out the gate? You know. Um, she never did a canon film like canon never put her in a film so we're not even talking about fucking universal paramount yeah. you know sony whatever i'm talking about like the the <laughs> lower tier guys um and it's why so many of her films are difficult to find now unless yeah. like me you kind of will dredge stuff up on dvd even i don't care what format like i have her movies on vhs and dvd yeah. and yeah. blu-ray and everything but um yeah, I think it's why it's important we keep uh, talking about her. It's not me trying to look like, hey, I know someone, you know, that you don't know. Um, you know, if I was going to do that about female action stars, I'd be talking about like Lady, Lady Terminator or something. You know what I mean? Or or the other person in, in Writing Wrongs, and I'm going to forget her name now, but the other, the her co-star in Writing Wrongs, who she fights against, who who did a couple of her. Yeah, um, Karen Shepard. Karen Shepard, who yes. who did a couple of releases, but she's a Terminator woman, um, right? Terminator yeah. woman, right? So yeah. yeah, I could be dropping her name. I'm not. For right. me, you know, my my feeling is is Cynthia Rothrock. When it comes to female martial artists, is as mainstream as they come. Yes. It's just that no one's talking about female martial artists. You know, unless it's Ronda Rousey cropping up in a, right. you know, yeah. a, a a movie doing, you know seventh fiddle to fucking some guy from twilight or whatever yeah uh i rewatched expendables 3 the other day and i'm just like God, <laughs> yeah that was the worst that movie yeah fucking people in that movie and i'm like really you're yeah. gonna not have cynthia rothrock but you're gonna have right. fucking ronda rousey and the munch bunch showing up right. like it's just yeah, yeah. Stupid. well the thing about rothrock i think so for me in terms of sort of my my rankings for some of these things like I have Rothrock as sort of my for direct to video stars. I kind of have her tied for third with with Don the Dragon Wilson after like Dolph and Fred Williamson. Yeah. I'm beginning to wonder with Dolph if maybe he needs to come down a bit and those some of them need to go up more just because I mean he had a lot of of, of great DTV stuff, but it's like some of the stuff that they were doing is kind of even you know if I kind of delve into it a little bit more, I think maybe I just have this affinity for Dolph. But I mean Fred Williamson obviously you know just kind of another level. But you, when you when I watch the Rothrock stuff, I mean Rothrock just from an, a pure athletic standpoint. I mean, there aren't many. I mean, Dolph obviously was a supreme athlete, somebody like a Matthias Hughes or Michael Jai White. There aren't many that were as athletic as she is. And, you know, you talk about Ronda Rousey, Gina Carano is one who obviously talking about being canceled. You know, she's always been canceled as well. But, but, um, but you know, they are great athletes. But Rothlock was like, I mean, she was like, like putting her in with the men, um, she was one of the best athletes. I think she might have been a better athlete than Don the Dragon, who was a top notch, you know. Yeah, the athlete. only difference between her and Don the Dragon is Don the Dragon, even while he was making movies, continued to do prize fights. Right. So, exactly. you yeah. know, she in the ring, she only ever did like forms and weapons, right? That right. was what she did, and that's what she won in the ring. However, you know, training and 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 so on uh, behind closed doors. Um, she has more black belts than Chuck Norris uh, in in a variety of different disciplines. She continues to teach and train to this day and has done uh, for decades. Um, and as you say, incredibly athletic. Did 
98% of her own stunts in the Hong Kong films that she's in, uh, to the point where, um, and if you've seen her interview with Scott Atkins on The Art of Action, like, she busted both her knees very, very early on. Never had them reset, never had them uh, looked at, whatever. Literally fought through the pain, and her knees are now at this point like stronger than anybody else's knees, or whatever it is. I don't know all the stuff, but go watch The Art of Action with Scott Atkins, and he explains it all. But essentially, um, took her blows along. Like, she... She got to Hong Kong, hardly anyone spoke English to her apart from like the person who was kind of ingratiating her to the cast and crew or whatever. And most of those Hong Kong movies were at least um, uh, some level of um, contact, if not full contact. Um, In fact, very often stunt performers or other martial artists would just say, please just kick me like for the purposes of this thing. They were six month shoots. They were long, grueling six month shoots. To all accounts from high uh, uh, in the Hong Kong, from Samuel Hung and Yen Bio and other people who she worked with, a consummate professional, never complained, d- did the work, stood up to the men, did whatever she needed to do without it ever being. I mean, she always talked about the fact that when she started, there weren't a lot of men, uh, women in her field, but she never made it a, you know, course celeb or whatever. She was just right. like, I'm out there and I'm doing my thing and fucking, you know, watch me. And she has a, there's a real uh, tragic uh, situation, which was that Golden Harvest was going to give her three more movies. And um, Sylvester Stallone came to yes. her uh, in the 80s and said, um, there's this movie being made by, who was it? It was, it was, it was a William Hill or, um, uh, I think so. I was talking with Tom Joliffe because he was on recent a podcast we did um, that hasn't released yet. We did China O'Brien and Lady Dragon. And he right. was talking about this situation um, that, yeah, that the movie sat on the shelf and she was turning down projects because she thought this was. Well, she broke her contract with Golden right. Harvest in order to do this movie. Yeah. Um, and the movie never came to be and Stallone never called her back. So it's like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Now, yeah. Uh, the flip side of that is, uh, you know, even after Golden Harvest said, no, thank you, we're breaking the contract. Yeah. You know, it's not like Jackie Chan and um, Yen Bio and uh, uh, Sammo Hung and others who respected her didn't continue to make movies. So why they didn't just, you know, put her in those movies, I don't know. Uh, I would have, I would have loved to have seen her, you know, with with a Jackie Chan or even a Michelle Yeoh and 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 uh, Cynthia Rothrock. I know they did Yes, Madam, but like another vehicle. Um, so yeah, very very odd that her career went into kind of the straight to video realm, and like we said, not even necessarily some of the big purveyors of that. Um, sort of lower down. But what I will say is that. Um, I constantly go back and I constantly rewatch and reevaluate Rothrock movies. Cause I remember when I first was collecting and I, I, I first started collecting uh, Rothrock films, um, you know, and I remember watching Rage and Honor and Rage and Honor two when they first started back in the day, I remember not liking them as much cause they don't really stack up against either China O'Brien or, or writing wrongs or yes, madam or any of those. But actually now having watched, you know, you know, a decade later, having watched way worse uh, straight to video stuff and way worse B movie stuff, um, 
Rage, Rage and Honor 1 and Rage and Honor 2, and we can go film by film, I don't mind, but they're certainly when it comes down to the action and when it comes down to her and Norton, and they're always a good double act, you know, her and Norton, and trying, and, and in, in this case, they're also executive producing, so I feel like they had a bit more of a hand in the, the action sequences and kind of stood up for... Um, it, it ends up that these movies aren't actually that bad. Like, when it right. comes to, like, straight-to-video... Rothrock and Norton movies, there are there are there are worst examples out there. Um and uh you know they just I just picked up the Tiger Claws trilogy that the Vinegar Syndrome released, and there's not a good movie. I mean, with all due respect, there's not a good movie uh, amongst that franchise. Um Martial Law one and two. Two is far better than one, and, and one underplays like this is another example. You get her and like Chad yeah. McQueen. Yes, like exactly. Like right. literally, who the fuck, right. other than Steve McQueen's son or whatever? But like, right. um, and it sidelines Rothrock right. for Chad McQueen. Yeah. Well, nobody's looking at Chad McQueen's body of work right now. And if anyone was going to, it'd probably be you, Matt. Um, but, <laughs> but even I'm not. No. <laughs> but even you're not. You know, right. Rothrock is is the one. So, yeah. um, I I put Rage and Honor. Um, I put up I put it up there with like China O'Brien two. Uh, it's sort of at that level. It's not as bad as Tiger Claws, yeah. um, uh, and it's not necessarily as good as China O'Brien One or Martial Law Two. Yeah. But it's up there with Martial Law. It's up there with China O'Brien Two. Um, it's up there certainly with Guardian Angel and Sworn to Justice, some of her other key titles. Um, and there was a lot I liked about it. Yeah, I mean, for me, the Rage and Honor movies are a little bit unique in her catalog with Richard Norton in that I think a lot of times Richard Norton, when he acted opposite her, I think he wanted the world to see how great she was. I think he he kind of knew who he was and he knew the kind of figure he he cut and that a movie would probably want a, a filmmaker would want to gravitate to making the movie about him. And he would always kind of take a step back and let it be about Rothrock. And I think like China O'Brien is a great example where he's really a supporting character or lady dragon, where he's the baddie in that one. And I think with these movies, I think, you know, especially the first one, um, you know, um, oh, <laughs> oh, I think you're mute. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, lady dragon. Such a disappointment. Yes. You have Norton, Rothrock, and Ginty. I mean, yes. it should be, you know, that's like a triumphant right, right there. That, right. And, yeah, very, very sad that Lady Dragon is not the, uh, you know, it's just this scrappy, shot in Indonesian kind of, right. you know. <laughs> exactly. But, but, yeah, with, with the Rage and Honor movies, I think... I think the first one in particular was really supposed to be more Rothrock centric, but it does feel like it's more of a, they're more buddy pictures that Rothrock and Norton have equal parts in, in both films. And, and I, I kind of, it, it makes them a little bit unique in her, her filmography, but I do like them both in that sense. I mean, one of the stories I, I've been um, reading the oral history of PM entertainment on the hopes and fears online um, magazine, uh, you know, they were talking about, I guess when they did guardian guardian angel, that there was some, some like character who from Mexico or something who was like playing was going to be in the movie. And I guess he did a scene with Norton and he made some comment like, you know, Oh, does, does Cynthia Rothrock hit as hard as you do? And he's like, now she hits harder, you know? And so it was like, you know, like he, I think always really loved her talent, really respected her talent. And I think one of the things that makes these movies good. And I think, you know, as we talk about the rage and honor movies, um, they're kind of a couple personal favorites of mine. Like they're kind of like, 
yeah, I think they're the kind of ones that are kind of close to my heart is ones that I just, you know, really like watching her her in them. I mean, the first one, I think you get some really fun scenes with like her fighting some guys at, at an ATM machine, um, you know, stuff like that, that I think. They well, just... they take that Hong Kong sensibility of. Yeah. So there's two, there's two, right. Hollywood action films tend to, the action tends to be part of whatever the ongoing plot right. is. In Hong Kong, they'll have an action sequence you know, just for the sake of having an action sequence, right? Right. So my feeling about that that sequence at the ATM in Ray Janana, it's a very Hong Kong way to be like, oh, by the way, for the rest of the movie, this lady kicks ass. Like, you need to know that this lady kicks ass. So here is an establishing scene that has nothing to do with anything else right. where this lady kicks ass, you know? And, and while we're establishing that she kicks ass... Um, uh, here is this random teen with a video camera who's also going to kind of become involved in the thing. So it's it's a really great setup scene. But yeah. but the other thing that Rage and Honor, both of them do very nicely, and this is sort of my benchmark for straight-to-video action, is, you know, every six or seven minutes, give me something. Yes. Like, I am going to, I'm going to uh, accept that the... Although I think Rothrock's a perfectly decent actor, and even Norton has his moments. But... Um, I'm going to accept that the plot is going to be nonsense. I'm going to accept that the acting is not going to win any awards. Um, but, you know, one of my biggest problems with Norris, everyone goes on and on about Norris, is when you watch a Norris film, it's 90% Norris acting, something nobody ever needs to see, and about 10% action. And even though the action might be at certain points impressive or, or, or laughable, like the end of Lone Wolf McQuaid, where you just see two middle-aged golfers twatting at each other um but i mean the 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 um metrics are all off i don't want to watch norris act i have no interest right. in norris having a love scene or whatever like you know i remember someone telling me to go see um what's the one where he fights basically michael myers the uh the one where he's up against the like super Oh, not I forget down. what it is. It's like the Silent Rage, is it? Silent, yes, silent yeah. Rage. Yes, yes. So Silent Rage. I remember everyone going on. Oh, John, you'd love Silent Rage. Martial artist versus Michael Myers, undestructible killing machine versus Chuck Norris. It's the best film ever. Blah 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 blah. Forty minutes into it, I'm like, is he gonna punch anybody? <laughs> he was standing around in a kitchen having very wooden dialogue with a woman. I'm like, I've, I have no interest in whatever this yeah. kitchen sink drama is. Whereas the thing that um, Norton and, and Rothrock know full well from their Hong Kong days, um, and and why Rage and Honor works because they're both producers on it. I think is that you know five, six, seven minutes don't go by without. Someone punching someone, someone falling off something, or something exploding, and that's that's really all that needs to happen. And yeah. on and above that, Rage and Honor at least also has a really solid MacGuffin. They go, yes. "Here's this kid. He caught something on tape, and now yeah. everybody, whether it's the police, the crooked police, the bad guys, or Rothrock and Norton, they're all after the tape. And that's all you need. You just need something to drive. You know, and the tape changes hands and one minute they have it and one minute they don't have it or whatever. Yeah. The only objection I have <laughs> to all of Ray Donata is that at the very end, how difficult would it have been, right, to have gone down to a, I was about to use a British reference and say Rumbelows. Rumbelows is not something you know, you know what I'm talking about. What was over here that wasn't Circuit City and wasn't Best Buy and everyone was like, oh, uh, Radio Shack. 
Radio Shack, right. yeah. You could have easily gone down to Radio Shack, Norton, bought another DMV or, or video cassette tape written on it, blah, 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 and handed that over to um, right. uh, the woman at the end of the movie instead of... Or you could have duped the tape. You could have duped the, the existing right. tape, not told anyone, handed her the tape, and she could have torn it up or whatever. So the only objection I have is that at the end of the film, like the tape has essentially meant nothing and uh, uh, Norton has to go off and uh, uh, hide. But that at least, I suppose, sets up part two. But um, apart from that, it's got a really nice, strong MacGuffin, uh, some, uh, some great ideas in it, um, and... Uh, they don't really explain how this teacher at a high school or whatever she is. I don't really know what she is. Teacher at a high school um, can do martial arts any more than they explain in the second one why the teacher from high school suddenly became a CIA agent. There's no explanation. It's fine. It doesn't matter. We don't need to. We assume it was in the script and they went on. You know? Well, I thought what happened was, was that her her parents were killed hers and so the other thing too is we find out that she's her brother is played by brian thompson so um you know great who's who it looks like he has a mullet tacked onto the back of his hair like that looks like how i was it, it, it it's very it, it's his business in the front and party in the back but it's almost like fake like the, it's like it's just sort of like this sort of like this thing just sort of sprouting out of the it's back party of at the back but no one's going to that particular party right. exactly it's a bad right it's 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 the kind of party that like the the non-cool kid in school's parents would throw to try to get that non-cool kid some friends that's the kind of party in the back that we're looking at here with that but um that's exactly and you're reminding me now we do find out about why she's a martial artist because of the 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 um, sensei being killed by yeah. Brian Thompson. Right. Hoffman. He, he takes that. them in, I think, when they're kids, and then they learn. He teaches them martial arts, and then Brian Thompson, I guess, avenges the parents' deaths, and the sensei doesn't like that. Something along those lines. So Brian Thompson goes <laughs> off and becomes this great criminal who you know runs some large criminal enterprise in L.A. Whereas um, Rothrock is just doing her own thing. And then Richard Norton, um, which, you know, talking about, you know, our ginger jokes from the Critters episode on your your podcast. This film is chock full of Aussie jokes, which I didn't yes. even know that that was like a, a, a form of joke that I didn't know that Aussie's going to. Uh, I, maybe this is a warning to any of any Aussies listening to this that I, I guess hopefully now L.A. is a more tolerant um, environment for Aussies. But. At least in this film, it seems like you're just waiting for a kangaroo joke or something else. Right. To, like, you know, go back. Well, it's, to your... it's the rule that you can insult other white nations. Right. So it's OK to insult like the, the English and the Irish can go right. back and forth at each other and, and, and tell jokes about each other. And, right. um, you know, the English can take make jokes about Australians. Right. Americans can make jokes about Australians. Um, sort of white nations can kind of take the piss right. out of each other. That's where. You know, the Germans are the butt of everybody's joke, as they should be, because yes. fuck those people. Yes, I found I'm, out joking. That... I'm joking to all the Germans listening. You know, there's one German listener who's like, ah, it's so sad. I will go out and cry now. Well, I think I, I just did the same joke a... on my recent podcast. But okay. What is it? The, the hur Was it Hurricane Smith, the, um, the film that um, Carl Weathers did in, in Australia? I found out that the, the Aussie term for Americans is septic tanks or septics. Uh, right, that yeah. they call Americans. Um, so we're well because um, they have that rhyming slang like the Cockneys do. So yeah. septic tank yank yank right, is right. American, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they also love to add O's at the end of everything. Everything's <laughs> yeah. a doco right. or a, a you know or a, a shoe or a hatto or something. They just <laughs> they put put O's at the end of everything, which is absolutely fine. That's yeah. that's allowed and it's all good. 
yeah, yeah. So, so that's what we have here is Richard Norton, who um, he's he's come to America. We don't really know why he, his his partner was killed in Australia, but I think he's trying to is he is he tracking down this baddie? Is that why he's in America? But whatever he's doing in America, he's he discovers that there is corruption in this L.A. Everyone um, in the police force is corrupt, right? Including everyone. Catherine Bach, who who played yeah. Daisy Duke. Um, she's in this. Doesn't wear Daisy Dukes. Wears much more clothing in this. Um. Um, really everybody, all the women, except for the gang, the, the gang that's run by, um, I can't remember the actress's name, who's did a bunch of stuff. Um, this is horrible that I can't remember her name. The gang um, is my favorite thing about this, this movie. Yeah. The fact Alex that Dash. there is, yeah. So there's the, the bad guy portrayed by, uh, uh, Brian Johnson. Uh, yeah. he, he with the, uh, face that looks like it's gone through a car accident right. and then been, been rebuilt by, uh, <laughs> the smurfs or something uh yeah, it looks like a he-man figure's face like it looks yeah. like it was it was crafted out of plastic um, well it looks like a he-man's figure's face if if the bad kid in the neighborhood had put the he-man figure in the fire for, right. for a few minutes you know what i mean right. um so uh you have him he's he's trying to get the tape because he runs the uh, that he has a sultry, uh, red-headed uh, female partner who goes out and does. He just stays at home right, all day, exactly, yeah. and and you know just hits the bag or or watches TV or yeah, does well. meditation or masturbates or whatever he does. Right. He does a lot of different things, and um, uh, she goes out and does all the the dirty work for him. The 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 red-headed woman, sultry woman, and uh, she runs the cops who are dirty. And they are dealing drugs or guns or something. And um, then there is this underground group of women that are sort of like Mad Max or Furiosa or something, kind of women living on the edge of society yeah. uh, um, in the sewers, having their own ad hoc fight matches whenever they want. And doing some criminality but not really like i don't know they're sort of involved but not sort of involved and sometimes they work for um brian uh thompson and sometimes they don't so it's just it's very weird it's just a weird thing but i like it because what it is is it's like how do we add yet another bizarre element of something that might be popular to this thing well the italians would probably put a group of women in like you know futuristic looking leather garb in the sewer they would do that in a fred williamson movie so let's do it in in our movie yeah and, and, and what you're, you're right is about this is that it all works because we get fight scenes every you know five to ten minutes um yeah. i mean the atm scene the thing that always gets me about the atm scene is it is a very um, antiquated ATM and it looks like from an 80s sitcom when ATMs were new and it just seemed like whenever that there was like whenever a TV show was running out of ideas they did the oh let's use the ATM oh it's malfunctioning and suddenly spitting out tons of money at us episode you know oh but you know here's Alice with um Mel from Mel's diner you know get his hand stuck in the ATM and it's spitting out money and look at you know hilarity ensues I mean it's that kind of ATM that she's using yeah it is same it in the Fast and Furious franchise where um uh uh What's it? Ludicrous is right. able to reprogram right. the ATM, ma you know, using magic science <laughs> yes, to yes. spit money out all over everybody. Yes. Yeah. Well, because that's the that's the thing, right? The two, you know, magical sci-fi elements that you can put in an action film without making it sci-fi or magical. Um, one is the ninja, right? The ninja can do magic things, yeah. and then the other is computers, 
computers can do magic things. Computers can do whatever magic they need to do. <laughs> right, exactly. um, but yeah, like you say, it's 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 odd as well because obviously Brian Thompson, who's known for sort of the bad guy in Cobra, that's probably yeah. his most. Um, he's treated here a little bit like. Um, the cameo actor so like throughout b movies and throughout low budget movies you have this thing of the cameo actor and they have someone in for three days they shoot them in one or two locations and then they distribute them throughout the movie so it feels like they're a main part of the film when really they're only on set his scenes feel that way because right. he's shot for most of the film in one room you yeah. know what i mean just kind of occasionally uh making out with a red-headed woman or hitting a bag or talking about his sister or whatever like he doesn't really do very much yeah. and then at the very end he has sort of a final fight scene um and that's the second location he's like you get me for two locations right, but that's right. it yeah. if his face is in more than three locations he spontaneously combusts or something right, <laughs> right. and and it, it's funny because yes yeah, so you've got this this he plays his character drago and yeah you, so what happens is right is that they they're trying to frame um richard norton for murdering this police officer and he has the video. There's the video of this kid who skateboards, um, makes the, the tape, and he sort of passes it off into this underground where it kind of, yeah, as, as, as MacGuffins are wont to do, gets passed around and who's got the tape and who has it. And, um, yeah, and so, the, you know, Norton wants to clear his name. At the same time, Rothrock wants to get revenge on her brother. And um, it, 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 I think it, it, it all works in that vein of, like, you know, these two action stars, I mean, I think there's the, the interesting thing is when they make them fight each other and you're kind of wondering how they're going to maneuver around that. And actually, again, even that scene works where the two of them fight each other. It, I, I think for, for both of them as a showcase, I mean, the Norton, I think, I, I, I'm wondering what this is, because, you know, it's, it's got Rothrock all over the cover of all the, cop, all the copies of it. I wonder, though, in making the movie, if they just really liked what Norton was doing and they thought, let's kind of make this make them have equal parts in the film as opposed yeah. to it being a Rothrock vehicle because the way the fight scene happens at the end where Rothrock fights Brian Thompson that's definitely a this is a Rothrock vehicle kind of fight right but there's still a lot of Norton. but then doesn't Norton have to come in and finish off the the fight right yeah what does he do because he because the he, yeah he does something right because to... Rothrock's getting the better of Thompson yeah but then Thompson goes over the edge yeah. She helps him back up. Yeah. And when she helps him back up, he takes advantage of that and I think throws her over the edge. Right. Yeah. She survives the fall, but Norton has to finish him off. That's I think Which I suppose is a good way of you know, how do we and I think I would actually say this was probably an equal footing movie just because they're both also producers on it. I don't know right. what the, the 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 um embryonic stage of this film was or who scripted or how, how that came out but um they uh um the good it's the best way i've seen uh of of how do we have a, a climactic fight where um you know you have two protagonists and one antagonist yeah um you know you get to see cynthia rothrock beat up brian thompson which is what you want she then saves him, which makes her the moral superior. Yeah. Uh, he then throws her over, but she survives. And then Norton finishes him off in, in revenge of her. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good... I don't know how else you would do it, because if you had Rothrock sidelined, yeah. and Norton fought, and then Norton went over, and then Rothrock came in and finished it wouldn't be enough Rothrock, right? right? 
you would feel cheated out of Rothrock. Right. Um, but at the same time, you don't mind Norton coming in and finishing him off because Norton, uh, Rothrock did the right thing. Yeah. Rothrock could have finished him off. Rothrock right. could have punched him in What's the face brother? and he could have fallen yeah, off the thing. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. 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 So the fact that they did that the way they did that, um, you know, I think actually really works. Um, you know, plus you have the idea that Norton then has to go off into the night, right. you know, and it is, 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 is now a, a fugitive. Um, you know, that helps. I think that adds to sort of his mystique or whatever and sets up the, the sequel. Um, and similarly, when you look at the sequel, Rage of Honor 2, the first half is sort of Norton's movie and then Rothrock comes in and kind of takes over the movie. So I think between the two films, whether they were planned as, you know, uh, uh, Rage of Honor 2 feels a lot to me like another script that they decided, well, Rage and Honor worked once, so let's just retool this to make yeah. Rage and Honor 2. I don't think it was written as Rage and Honor 2. Yeah. Um, but however they retrofitted it, 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 it works, and it works to give between both movies an even balance of one and the other, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting, too, I think. One of the things I think, too, about the first one um, more than the second one in terms of Norton, we were talking about like eighties, you know, British pop stars. I mean, he kind of has that look, right? Like his, his, his face is like, it looks like it's made up a little bit more. He's got like maybe some, some black eyeliner. He's got the earring and um, the hair and everything. Um, and it feels like when they make him the second movie, it's almost like maybe he looked at himself in there and said, you know, I look like a, you know, you know, the guitarist from Johnny H jazz or, you know, like, Spando ballet or something like that. It's like I need to, you know, like I need to be. Now I just out. want to see an action franchise starring uh, the bass player from Johnny Hates Jazz. Yeah, That's yeah. really what I'm. Yeah. But it was, you know, something along those lines. And um, yeah. So you know, he. It seems when you get into raging, raging on her two, um, his hair is a little bit longer. Um, you know, the look is a little bit rougher. It's like, you know, it's it's not as 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 British pop starry. I guess is you know. Yeah. Um, but he's still wearing, I don't know where he found it, but it's a very thin, he wears like a long trench coat, like a black right, trench yeah. coat, but it's basically just a thin cotton, you know what I mean? It's almost like a, a, a I don't know what, it's like a pashmina with arms or something. Like it's just, it's very weird or like a, a, a gi without a, a rope uh, tie or something. It's just, it's just a weird, but it, he, he wears it, like he works it, like it's, it's perfect for Norton. If Norton isn't wearing that coat, I, I would worry about what's wrong with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would I would go up and say, everything all right, mate. Um, yeah. like, That's fine. I don't mind. I right. like the coat. The coat's great. Um, now, it doesn't quite have the, the Rage and Honor has the, uh, does have the last scene, which has the callback to the joke. Right. Which is, uh, how are you finding LA or whatever it is? Yeah. And then he goes, oh, it doesn't matter or whatever, and then right. drives off. It's not quite the last line of China O'Brien, which Richard Norton steals the whole film by saying, let's go discuss it, over a bee. And, and you don't get that at the, the end of Rage and Honor, although he does have a little like uh, back and forth with the guy who picks him up because he's hitchhiking at the end of the movie. Right. Um, but it's not, it's not classic Norton, but it's, it's good yeah. enough for what it is. Um, but yeah, I, and then... His moment to shine out of both films, I feel like, is the uh, Benny's fight in Rage yes. and Honor 2, yep. where um, I think honoring Monty Python somehow, there's not only a comedy parrot, 
but he picks up a giant raw fish and beats a bad guy around the face with it, like the fish slapping dance. Uh, I don't know if it's intentional or whether they just happen to have a comedy rude parrot and a fish lying around and thought, let's use it. But either way, I'm here for it, and I want more of Norton doing that. Because he is the martial arts answer to John Cleese. You know what I mean? Just in height and silliness. Yeah. And, and, and it's another example kind of a of, of baddie in a can kind of approach where it's like, you know, guys who come into, you know, some poor, you know, like this, you know, struggling business. I don't know if he's struggling, but, you know, guy who's trying to make it with his own business and you get these toughs who come in looking for protection money. You yeah. just want to see Richard Norton go in there and beat them about a face, beat them out of face with the with a raw fish. Like, you just, yeah. you, you and I think if, if there's any mistake about Rage and Honor 2. It's the fact that it's always the same group of guys. Right. Yeah. Like, it's always the same five guys. You're like, how many times does Norton and Rothrock have to hand this blonde wanker his ass before? <laughs> yes. And it means that at the end of the movie, when he faces off with him, yeah. you know, you don't you don't feel like there's much of a, a, a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, what Rage and Honor 2 has is the the twist ending which i thought yeah. was nice i mean both both of the movies are structured really nicely like yeah. more attention to the script than most action movies to be fair yeah. and um whether it's the MacGuffin in part one which i think works very successfully or the twist in part two uh, which i think also works it's a bit predictable but it's it's yeah. also uh, as successful um it, just between the two movies they have all the elements like the second movie you know you have norton training uh, the dead guy's son and and you think that's gonna they're gonna kind of go all revengey together and it's gonna be this big thing but you get a bit of training montage in the second one you know what I mean you, the, I think the only thing where the second one falls down is the fact that it's the same five guys who always show up there isn't a variety of uh, hoods but that's probably because they were shooting in um, uh, uh, Jakarta yeah. and there probably was only a handful of you know, white Anglo-Saxons hanging around, uh, or at least uh, American speakers or English speakers hanging around, um, you know, and, and they don't for some reason lean into having kind of Indonesian bad guys or that there's not, I mean, the, the main mob boss is, is, is Indonesian, but, but outside of that, it's, um, it's mostly all his henchmen are all, uh, uh, American or English or, uh, Australian or whatever. Yeah. And what we get, I think, with the one henchman, the the Thor character played by, uh, was it Thomas Vreken? Is that the name? Vreken. Ron Vreken. Ron Vreken. Ron Vreken. Ron is such a great name. Ron. <laughs> Hello, I'm Ron. Yeah. What, what are you doing? I'm Ron. Hi, how are you? I'm Ron. Ronald. It's short for Ronald. Yeah. yeah. And and his mullet is like I, I mean it's, I mean the, the he, overall he's just a, a poor man's Matthias Hughes that's really right. what his his raison d'être is but you know at least his mullet is like it it kind of writes all the wrongs of the Brian well, it's Thompson real hair mullet. for right, the, exactly. for, for starters <laughs> yes uh, like I don't know about writing all the wrongs I mean it's right. it's just as wrong right. yeah. I think it doubles down on the wrong the only right. right about it is that it's his real hair as opposed yes. to a a tuft of uh, uh, cushion stuffing that Brian Thompson is glued to his head. But yeah, it, apart from that, it's, it's, yeah, that's what it's right. From, from, you know, from, you know, in terms of like mulletude, I mean, it is, it's definitely a 10 on the mullet. I mean, I mean, there's a scene where he fights um, Norton and the first thing he does is kind of brush it off his shoulders, you know, like yes. I've got to just, 
brush this mullet aside here. And, <laughs> and which is just a beautiful thing. It's like he, he's so enamored with his mullet that he just can't stop yes. playing with it, it seems like, right. you know. And right. and as a baddie, it's it's like I, I think the thing I liked about it is that he really wasn't developed beyond the fact that he's big, he's got a mullet, and he's, you know, he's the right. henchman of, of Buntao, the bad guy. And and that's enough for us to want to see Norton kick him in the face. Like that's yes. You know, it, it, it doesn't take much more than that. And I think you know, that's where 90s action movies really hit their stride is when they know, like, it doesn't take much to, to, to develop characters. Like, we don't need a lot of development. We need fight scenes. We need action scenes. And it's like – and again, with these two characters, you know, I mean, I think the thing that they try to do with that is they almost try to give us, like, a moose-bushes with the fight with, with Thor and, and, and Norton where it's like – Oh, let's fight, and then all the police show up. Um, right. Oh, let's fight. Oh, something else. Show, something you know, some gunfire happens, and it stops the fight, and things like that. Um, so it's almost like we're, we're, but but like you said, we also kind of get the sense that like Norton can take this guy at any time. So when they yeah. actually fight at the end, there's really no suspense in it. Like, and I and I wonder if he's not a contemporary of Norton's just because uh, his first movie was Hurricane Smith, yeah, uh, which was as you said, shot in Australia. Yeah. Um, uh, he also shows up in um, uh, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, he's in um, The Island of Dr. Moreau. And and he also does stunts on Mission Impossible 2, which, of course, was filmed down under. So I wonder, I haven't looked much further than that, but I've got to wonder that he is probably a Australian contemporary of Norton's. Uh, yeah. And he was like, uh, oh, Ronald, uh, could you uh, maybe grow out the hair and dye blonde, please? Uh <laughs> We, we need a equally ridiculous moulet, and uh, I know that uh, I know that you love to grow a, a moulet, uh, freaking. Uh, so why don't you go ahead, Ron, old Ronnie boy? Uh, and uh, and he went, all right, mate, and uh, drank copious amounts of Foster's Lager and, and let his hair grow. Probably that's what happened. Yeah, it's funny. I take for granted that because his last name's Reken, that he's you know from the Netherlands, but it's very, just as possible that he you know he he. Went to uh, to Australia just as much as you know, you know anybody like Colin Hay or whoever you know whatever you know people from England that go to you know sort of escape to you know start a new life in Australia. He, you know he could have just as easily been like oh you know. Yeah, yes, I don't see much information about him um, other no. than his uh, credits. I don't see even on IMDb. There's you know there's no Wikipedia entry about him uh, no. that I can find. Um, and there's no, uh, yeah, just what he fights in, what his, you know, Aikido jujitsu, yeah. um, you know, he was like a champion of, 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 uh, martial arts that I can't pronounce right now. Um, oh, where are you seeing that? That's in the trivia section for him on IMDb. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't even see that. Yeah. Australian. Oh, you, you're right though. Australian martial arts expert. So he is from Australia. So um, I think he affects uh, an accent, though, for this, doesn't he? Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, he's he's, he's trying to he's, be... He's certainly yeah. not Australian, but yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah. see what you mean. He He's uh, Kaiokushinkai. Yeah. Kaiokushinkai, karate, yeah. judo, aido, and Dutch kickboxing. Yeah. I love that there's Dutch kickboxing. Yeah. Does that involve clogs? Like, do you have to wear, do you wear clogs while kickboxing? <laughs> Having a lot of cheese on toast while kicking people with clogs. Exactly. What, what, what is that you, you're doing there, Ronnie? You know, it's a bit of the old Dutch kickboxing. Uh, you just got to wear wooden shoes, really. I mean, it's regular kickboxing, but you just got to put on the clogs, maybe eat a little bit of cheese on toast. 
and away you go. Maybe cycle. Maybe you do it while cycling. Maybe that's. <laughs> I wonder if the the Dutch kickboxing is where they, I wonder if they have they they're the ones that invented the windmill kick, and that's where he learned the windmill kick. Yeah. That's a, because because he does sport the um, Norton sports the windmill kick a couple times in in both Rage and Honor movies. Um, yeah. He's so I, well, I you've got a bunch of people listening now who are like listen. I have you know there are lots of great people in Dan- Denmark, uh, not Denmark, Netherlands, <laughs> who uh, and Holland who are doing lots of great work in the work of kickboxing, and you're like no one said there wasn't anyway. Um, but yeah, that's. <laughs> Yes, I'm going to be looking at the the stats for this this um podcast for, and for the, for the Dutch like, kickboxer. Yeah. yeah, suddenly like the Netherlands just drops down to like you know, the the one person from the Netherlands who was listening um is suddenly you know, suddenly, yeah, suddenly the the only thing about the, the Netherlands that I I always remember is that when we did a school trip to England, you could pay a certain amount of money to do like a an like a a boat trip to. You could pay a certain amount of money to have yeah. a, a Dutch person show up and shit yes. on you. I can't remember what it was. Some, some I, will take, our, our I will take shit on your chest for $5. <laughs> I think it was something like if you paid like 60 pounds, you'd get a boat to, to the <laughs> Netherlands. And we were like, oh, maybe we should do that for a day. And say we went to the to the Netherlands. And then, yeah. of course, by the time you know we got there and we were just happy that we could drink in bars at 18, um, right. you know, we didn't have any expendable money to be able to take uh nor to be care to take a, a ferry to uh to the netherlands at that point but um so that was the time i almost went to the netherlands i've never actually been before so i am listening sorry i'm oh. can we pause just for a second i don't want to i don't want to i know you've got to edit this and i don't want you to have to edit That's this right. but, no, I, took, um, I, I took a sip of coffee at the same time so i'm okay, like uh, yeah i've got my dunkin donuts where i heard kate bush's um running up the hill um, when I was in there getting the coffee, so um, <laughs> it's just, it's coming up to six o'clock, so I'm going to have to uh, yeah. wrap up soon. Sorry, just because that's all right. No. I've got to have dinner. Yeah, um, but no, I think you know with this movie, I think with both of these movies, I think you know one is that they're both available on Tubi, which I know, yeah, you know, with, with commercials like that, it's it's not always the best version. I think, but no, if it's the only version online, watch it online. Yeah, wherever yeah. you can. But I think what you're, what you're talking about, I mean, you know, China O'Brien is one that you can't find anywhere. China O'Brien is one that's like, it's only available on VHS and you got to pay out the nose for the VHS. Um, I th- there is a European release with both movies on DVD, which I think you can get on Amazon for about 20 bucks. That, but is it is it region free or is it? Um, no, it's well, it says it's region B, but I bet yeah. if you've got most DVDs that are that low rent kind of releases like uh when we were doing doctor action for example paul used to send me a whole bunch of uh region b dvds that actually when you put in the player yeah they were they so but i'm i'm not guaranteeing it they could be region b yeah 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 because i think one of the things maybe is you know i think like you you mentioned buying the tiger claw series i didn't buy those on blu-ray but i'm kind of wondering if i should start buying some more of those so that like i can kind of do my part to convince these distributors to start putting more of her stuff um because i think one of the things that always hurts my heart is when you see like when you go to like some website that talks about the top 10 female action stars and they don't list rothrock anywhere on the list and i think that always hurts my heart because she is for me it's like i think maybe pam greer michelle yo and then rothrock all three of those should be on the list and if they're not on your list then your list is horseshit right, exactly. you know what i mean because very often on those lists of action movie 
stars, female stars, they list actors who you know full well don't do any of their own stunts, don't right. do any of their own martial arts, yeah. yet they claim to be, you know, uh, they claim to be great action stars because they have a stunt person do their work. Yeah. You know what I mean? And look, that's fine. Uh, I don't need, I, you know, I'm not like Seagal where he's like, if you're not a real action martial artist, then I'm not interested, you know. And right. I don't know if you've seen that interview with him, but someone asked him about like Van Damme and Michael right. Jarre White yeah. and, Scott Atkins and other people, and he's just like, do you want me to laugh in your face? <laughs> and I'm like, well, Michael J. White is a legitimate martial artist. And right. say what you like about Van Damme, whether he ever fought or didn't fight or whatever, he's a legitimate martial artist. Like, right. he's a kickboxer and a, you know, an athlete and whatever. Like, he's got as much fucking action cred as <laughs> big, fat, old cigar standing around and painted hair and, yeah. you know. Um, but, you know, Matt Damon, for example, in the Bourne movies is neither a martial artist nor an athlete. Did right. he get in shape? Did he train to do some stuff? Sure. Right. But he's an actor who happens to have like some fight scenes that were, you know, probably choreographed predominantly with stunt people. Yep. And that's that's fine. That's because the most of Bourne films are him acting. And if you want someone acting, Matt Damon's fine. Right. But if you're doing a B-movie action, a straight-to-video action, or, a, you know, like John Wick's probably the exception because... Yeah. While Keanu Reeves is not what you would consider a martial artist, he has four decades, you know, trained in martial arts. Yeah. The gun play that in John Wick, he does a lot of that himself. Yeah. You know, the, the John Wick films may only take a couple of months to make, but they are eight months in prep for him to. So that, that's maybe a gray area there, because once you've done as much martial arts on camera as Reeves has in the last few years, you could call him a martial artist at this point. Has he ever competed? Would he ever compete? Blah, 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 blah. No, but the, I, I don't know. For my money, Matt, and I don't know where you feel, um, you know, public exhibition or competing or anything like that, that's that's a certain level of authority, but it has nothing to do with movie making. Right. You know what I mean? The fact that Don the Dragon Wilson had all those title fights that he won, that doesn't make his movies any better. Like right, right. Chuck Norris is, you know, a, a renowned martial artist, you know, good friends with Bruce Lee, blah, 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 blah. But cinematically, yeah. it, it's awful. Right. Yeah. So there, ha I, I always like to think that there's a gray area between being an actual martial artist and being someone who can do that shit on camera. Yeah. And the good thing about Rothrock is that she is that. Yeah. Like straight down the middle. She can do it on camera, but she can do it in real life. Um, and because so much of her training and her exhibitions were forms and weapons, what that actually means, that's almost better training for movies than full contact fighting. Because what it means is you can do all the elaborate um, physicality yeah. uh, that you want to see on camera, the athleticism and the poses and the whatever, without necessarily having to know how to really beat someone up. Right. Now, the fact that since then she's got black belts in, I think, seven different disciplines, she could kick the shit out of anybody at this point. I'm not, like, denying that. But I just mean the fact that she started off where she starts off, it cements her martial art cred. It cements the fact that, you know, along with uh, Karen Shepard, she was one of the first women to win um, a lot of uh, exhibitions, um, as was Karen Shepard. I mean, Karen Shepard was legitimately, like, I think the first woman um, to to win a martial arts demonstration, but Cynthia then won more than she did after her. Um, but either way, 
you know, to, to forge out the career that she did um, with the skills that she had uh, is, is still incredibly impressive. And whatever we can do. And the nice thing is, is, is when I start to talk about Rothrock, I, I, I stop trying to be like funny. I stop trying to be like blokey about it. I'm not talking about her, you know, her looks or whatever. I'm talking about like what she does in the movies. And if there's anything, and again, it's absolutely fine, but if there's anything that makes Rothrock um, a little interesting figure these days talking about that is that she's not very shy on social media (laughs) in terms of like bikini pics and other things like that. She doesn't need to be. For the woman of her age, she's a a very attractive woman. But um, when I watch her films, even Sworn to Justice, which is sort of like her 90s erotic martial arts thriller or whatever, even Sworn to... I'm not watching it for that. It's not... She's not... um, It doesn't matter what she looks like. It's it's, it's her skill, her talent. And the fact that she... um, I think a lot like Don the Dragon and even Jeff Speakman and others... Um, they could do the fighting, but they worked on the acting. Yeah. And you do see it with each movie. She gets better and better, I think. And in Rage and Honor, she's sort of found her groove. It's a good middle of her career kind of... And I'm talking about her initial career, her sort of um, uh, uh, late 80s, uh, mid 80s through to mid 90s. It's it's sort of a good um, uh, uh, middle, you know... Uh, movie for that you know if if we say that her best work starts in 86 and her you know last really true great work is probably sworn to justice in terms of the the stuff that she's done and that's 96 so she has a good strong 10 years where you know even if there's the odd dud like lady dragon or tiger claws you could watch any of those movies and it would be perfectly Great. I mean, her Hong Kongs are obviously the best ones. And then the China O'Briens, which are sort of Hong Kong produced American movies, are, pr- are probably the best ones and certainly good gateway movies. But, you know, any of the, the early to mid 90s stuff that she does is, is also very good and fine. And Yeah, I, I think it, it she's she's an important figure. I think I mean, one of the things that you're talking about these movies, I mean, the only other woman who was like helming action franchises at that time is Donna Spear in the Sidaris movies when he kind of diminishes the Abilene who can't shoot straight character in Savage Beach he turns it over to her so the fact that the only other woman who's even coming close to doing what Rothrock was doing in the United States is is Donna Spear who you know former playmate who's you know I mean I think her 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 as an action lead was you know still really important that she was doing that kind of thing yeah but you know, it wasn't a big pond that that Rothrock was swimming in, and no. you know she was making it happen there. And and I think, like you said, cinematically, her action looks fantastic on screen. And yeah, and no I, one else has this. I mean, outside of the men, outside of Gary right. Daniels, outside of Jeff Speakman, out of all these people we mentioned, no one had a career like this. I mean, right. she was making, you know, at her height, she's making four or five movies on two or three continents uh, um, uh, every single year Mm -hmm. at her height. And, you know, and again, she's still at it. Now, you know, her her later films, um, the, uh, uh, you know, the the mercenaries and the showdown in Manila's of the world, you know, I I mean, (laughs) they're for for hardcore fans only. I don't expect anyone to go out and watch them. But 
you know, with her, um, what she has done on social media, which is very successful, yeah. and talking to someone like Scott Atkins and, and also doing the odd interview with other martial artists and also, um, uh, you know, as I say, not being shy in a way, it's it's brought her back to the forefront. It's showing people that, um, you know, she's still uh, an act, you know, because she shares her workout routine, she shares diving, she shares her travels, um, she shares her martial arts training. Um it's showing people that she's still viable. It doesn't matter what age she is. She looks better than most 40-year-olds and, and, and certainly more limber than most 40-year-olds and, and, and still a, a, a renowned and, and, and re repeatedly honored martial artist. By the, you know, when, you, when you see the number of conferences and award ceremonies and things that she attends, you know, and say what you like about award ceremonies, and, and there does seem to be a lot of them, but like around the world, she is known, she is honored, she is, you know, the grand dragon and, and so on uh, in so many of these different things uh, and so many different uh, disciplines. Um, and, and you know, still, so when you look at her output in 2022 and, tw and coming in 2023, she's working and working and working. There's no stopping. Now, do any of them, will any of them harken back to her heyday? I, I don't know. Um, you know, we've entered a, a weird situation where there's a lot of B-movie action still being made, um, but it lacks the consistency that it used to in the 80s and 90s. Um, and there's really only a few directors out there. Like, I'll watch anything that Jesse V. Johnson does, for example. I think he's a action director working in the same kind of B-tier that, that, you know, uh, PM and others were working in in the 80s and 90s, but he's consistently he consistently at least knows what to do with a fight scene. I mean, even if he's not telling a story that you're interested in, he knows what to do with a fight scene. He pushed, you know, you look at Scott Atkins' Isaac Florentine work versus his Jesse V. Johnson work. His Isaac Florentine work might be to some extent more martial arts heavy and more um, uh, martial art like fancy martial arts because Isaac Florentine is also a martial artist. But when you look at his Jesse V. Johnson work, it's his acting that has shot up. You know what I mean? I would love to see Jesse V. Johnson do a, a, a Cynthia Rothrock movie and be like, come on, let's really spend time on not only the action sequences, because I know how to shoot the hell out of it, but let's get some of that acting on screen with a, with a you know, and he's done a female-driven uh, action film recently, um, Hell Hath No Fury. And um, I could totally see him doing something, you know, Scott, and Rothrock on their interview talked about working together. And, you know, if Stallone can still mumble about and play a superhero well into his 70s, Rothrock can, do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not unheard of. Like, if Sigourney, if they announced tomorrow that there was going to be another Alien movie and Sigourney Weaver was coming back, everyone would applaud it. So yes. let's make China O'Brien 3. Come on, let's do it. Yeah, Norton I, was just in uh, Mad Max Fury Road, just did right. a bunch of stunts for Mad Max Fury Road. Norton's yeah. not slowing down either. Let's no. make it happen. No, I, I agree completely. And I think, um, you know, I think the interesting thing with Jesse V. Johnson, I think just to kind of talk about the acting piece with Atkins, I think part of the reason why his stuff with Atkins works so well in the sense of the acting, he always lets Atkins use his natural accent he always yes. he's always playing a brit which i think is like really i mean yes I, I get it that adkins can he does a pretty good american accent but it just it, i don't know it, it it he loses some of his charm um yeah. so it's like know. filmmakers realized very early on just it's same with van damme yeah 
explain why Jason Statham, a Brit, is in yeah. whatever situation he's in. Don't yeah. make Jason Statham try and pretend to be anybody other than Jason Statham. Because yeah. being Jason Statham is compelling, funny, interesting, whatever. Yeah. And it's the same with Scott Atkins. When you see him in Avengement, yeah. Scott Atkins being Scott Atkins and leaning right into his uh, uh, Britishness and, and harking back to the Long Good Friday and, and some of those movies, uh, the Bob Hoskins of it all, you know, that's one of the most compelling uh, British movies of, yeah. of the last two decades. I don't care that nobody saw it and it, it, it'll be, you know, uh, just us action hounds who know about it. Avengement, yeah. it sits up there with me with Mona Lisa and Long Good Friday and uh, uh, Get Carter and, and Scum with Ray Winston and uh, any of those made in Britain with Tim Roth. It's got that um, uh, vibe to it. It's, you know, it's it's 50% gritty shitty british uh, uh prison movie and 50 percent like balls the wall action fucking and it's great it's everything you want right um and i think it's criminal that a movie like that and i, I say the same thing about statham's uh hummingbird which is a redemption in this country um it's the same thing whenever statham stretched himself a little bit to do um uh, something more in a kind of bob hoskins vein and less in the sort of transporter martial arts vein um I always loved, I think he is a legitimately good actor. No, everyone thinks I'm insane. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. But you watch Redemption of Hummingbird or you watch like, um, what was the one he did, um, which is mainly just a detective thriller. He doesn't even really do any fighting in it. Um, I want to call it Brick. It's not Brick. Uh, fuck, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but he's done a few of these. Statham's done the odd kind of like dramatic rather than full of action films. And, and I really, really like that. And um, I think someone like a Jesse V. Johnson or um, uh, the Raid guy, uh, Gareth Evans or whatever, uh, could take a Rothrock and and really... Because the biggest problem when you watch the later Rothrocks, the, the, the 2000s Rothrocks, is um, nobody knows, nobody behind the camera knows what they're doing. Right. They, they go well we'll get rothrock and and yeah. she's a name or we'll get gary daniels or someone and he's a name whatever but when it comes to the action and rothrock's spoken about that she's like you know when we did hong kong movies we had months and months to do the action scenes when i came over to america to do american movies we had you know hours to do the action scenes now the movies i'm doing we have minutes to do right. the action scenes right and even in a movie where her and don wilson were driving it like the martial arts kid um the person directing it has no idea how to make that action compelling, no matter how Don and Cynthia are doing on screen. And there's some okay fights in that film. It's it's not the best, but it's if there's any later era Rothrock to watch, it's probably the martial arts kid. But, um, you know, the, the problem with, with a lot of these, like that fucking, there's that Russian guy. Um, Nevsky. Nevsky. Yeah. Who, for some reason, keeps getting funding to make movies wouldn't know how to shoot an action scene if you you know what i mean if you punched him repeatedly in the johnson like he's just every movie i've watched with nevsky in it or, or that was nevsky produced and i'm right. suddenly like oh my god he's got rothrock and right. uh, Van, uh, 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 don the dragon wilson and yeah um, olivia gruner yeah. right olivia yeah. gruner and whatever um every time i watch them i'm just like oh god it's yeah. interminable wank 
Um, I think he did uh, Showdown in Manila, right? Right. Yeah, it was directed by DeCascos, but it was like produced by. But it was like I remember watching Showdown in Manila, and I'm like, the end of the it movie. It was directed like, by DeCascos. Yeah, How DeCascos did I was, not? Know? It's so bad, though. Yeah, I remember watching that at the end when they bring in, you know, Rothrock and Gruner, and and I'm like, why aren't they the leads of this movie? Right. Like they should be the leads. Like why is Nevsky the lead of this movie when the they're all these like much more compelling people? Yeah, I know, and and it's 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 odd. And I just unless you have unless you have someone like you know a, a, an Evans or a, a Johnson or um, you know or even if Adkins decides to direct or or even you know or even these stunt guys who are now you know like the Chad Stahelski or whatever his name is who's doing John Wick or whatever like. You know, they brought Dacascos back and put Dacascos yeah. in a major Hollywood movie yeah. as a villain. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, Rothrock and Keanu could could trade some blows in a John Wick four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever family right. films they're doing. That should have stopped at one, by the way. But okay, right. <laughs> right. Well, like I was talking with um, Tom Jolliffe, um, the screenwriter, when he, he was on talking about um, you know China O'Brien and Lady Dragon. He was talking about like you know maybe doing like a B movie Expendables and and. You know, even if it's only just like a few names, even if it's like, you know, Wilson Rothrock and Gary Daniels or Daniel Bernhardt or somebody like that. Um, you know, even if it's just those few names, I think that would be, uh, you know, that, that yeah. could be an of But you one. need, you know, again, I, I, I just keep, you need to do that. I would love to see that. And there's yeah. been some attempts. They've done comedy like the Extendables. Yeah. They've done uh, Mercenaries, which are sort of right. the female Expendables. But again, Mercenaries is a great example. You get all those people... Right. You get those sets, you get everything. You get someone like Rothrock who yeah. can do all these moves for real. And then you get a bunch of other people who have sort of played yeah. action roles in the movies. You get so isn't Zoe Bell in that movie? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Zoe like Bell the, is like yes. the, the lead yeah. in that movie. She's this incredible stunt woman. Yeah. Why is it a piece of shit? Like yes. no, but it's, I, I, it's and an again, asylum film, right? It's you know, um so, Right, but yeah. but even asylum, all asylum need to provide is a, a director with some cameras right. and a, and a warehouse yeah. and that cast and I, and I could make a great movie. Right, right. Well, because I think the director was Fred Olin Ray's son, I think Christopher. I don't, but it was like you, yeah, you're watching that movie and you're like, what? Why is this not working? Right, like right. you said, it's it's missing things that it needed. Um, I mean, that's one of the things I think we talk about PM all the time. I mean, you know, one of the best PM movies, Re Recoil. Gary Daniels does that. It's directed by Art Camacho, but it's action directed by Spiro. Ra is it Rosados? Rosados, yeah, Rosados. The, the, the stunt guy, yeah, who started with I think he. Well, he he actually started on like Maniac Cop two, right? And he worked with Lustig a lot. But yeah, PM yeah. gave him his action bones, and then he went on yeah. to do Fast and Furious, and yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think that's the thing too, is that like you know. I, probably the asylum they don't have the money to get somebody to do to action direct or something like that but you know obviously someone like a, an art camacho you know stunt choreographer you know martial you know fight choreographer all of that kind of thing he knows enough to know i need to have an action director to you know and, and right. recoil is just, for me recoil is my favorite pm entertainment film um and i i think you know like you talk about like rothrock didn't get enough pm entertainment flicks and i, I wonder if she was turning down pm roles because of that whole Stallone thing where maybe she was getting offered more movies than just Guardian Angel with them. Um, yeah, and it's it's weird that especially when you look at Expendables 1 and the fact that obviously it's a bunch of people that Stallone's worked with, but it's also like Gary Daniels is in there, right? Right. So 
you know, and then Scott Atkins is in the second one. Stallone yeah. picked Statham to be his, even though when the first Expendables came out, all Statham had done was really his straight-to-video action stuff. He wasn't the star that he is today. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel like Stallone keeps up with, you know, who's in action. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, he got Van Damme back to do the villain in part two. And then something happens in three where I'm like, <laughs> but the formula is that it's all these older guys. Yeah. And it's not like you don't have people to pick from. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you, you know, God forbid, like, but he could have got Seagal, right? right? I know Jackie Chan was playing hardball about like, well, it needs to be a starring vehicle for me and da, 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 yeah. da, da. But like, he probably could have talked Jackie into it. Um, you know, he talked Bruce Willis and Schwarzenegger into showing up. So yeah, um, fucking Harrison Ford. I mean, there's right. all sorts of people in that franchise. So it's like, you really telling me you couldn't get on the call to Cynthia Rothrock or right. whatever? She would have loved just, to have been in it, you know? Right. Like she, yeah, I, I kind of joke that I think because she's really short, but I think if she stood next to Solo, she'd probably show how short he is, and maybe that's why he doesn't want her in them. But I, Yeah, I don't the, know. I mean, I remember interviewing her and being offended when I found out that she told me that the writers of... There was meant to be a, an official female spinoff called The Expendables, which is yeah. the worst and most right. sexist idea. I think of just making Expendables with women in it. Right. They don't exactly. need to have Expendables or, right. you know, yeah. whatever. Just making Expendables with women. And it'll put women in the cast alone, you know? Right. There are other women out there. Like if Sigourney Weaver showed up or Linda Hamilton showed up or any of these yeah. so-called action stars, no one would complain. So let's, right. like, put a real action star in there. But um, the, the, the writers of Expendables came to Cynthia's home apparently and did a bunch of writing with her and asked her about like what she'd like to see in a female driven action movie and blah, 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 with no intention of ever putting her in the film. Wow. And I just, she's got a better heart than I have. Cause I would have kicked them <laughs> fucking door. And right. let this a part of me. And it's similar. Like Pam Greer told me, she was like, when I spoke to Pam Greer at, at her book signing, she said like, yep, there was talk of me and others being in a female expendables movie, but you know, it's not it's it's not going to happen. And I'm like, well, that's it's because they're thinking of it as a female Expendables movie instead of just realizing that females can be mercenaries, too. It's got nothing to do with gender or, yeah. you know. Well, and I think that's the thing, maybe as we come back and kind of as we're starting to kind of wrap up here, I think with Rothrock that makes her so compelling is that, yes, she's great as a, you know, from a, from a female action standpoint, she kind of stands alone. I mean, again, like I said, I put her right behind. Greer, Pam Greer and, and Michelle Yeoh, but that also just as a pure martial artist and action star, she is up there with any any you know I, I would take the Pepsi challenge with her and any of the guy stars that we think of out there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. hands down, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's maybe the thing that that makes her so compelling when you're watching. And I think it is a shame that that she was never used prop. You know, she never got like that that big screen. I mean, the closest I think she came after um, the Stallone film was Irresistible Force. That you know they made a pilot and it didn't get picked up by CBS. Um, the other the other one that she did, uh, which was sort of uh, Hollywood adjacent, right. is the Corey Haim vehicle, right, Fast, Fast Getaways one and two. Yeah. <laughs> right with Leo Rossi. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. You know, I think she never quite got that that role that she should have gotten. And I think part of it is I think the Hollywood or the film industry, they just don't know necessarily how to do – you know, I think they're 
I don't, I don't think maybe they just didn't know, you know, how to, to, to split the difference maybe between having her be a strong female lead and be a, a female and be a woman. Um, well, if you notice when we talk about others that Hollywood has produced, whether it's Xena, whether it's Buffy, whether it's uh, Terminator, whether it's um, Alien, those are all genre films. Right, exactly. They're basically saying women can be action stars in the future or in yeah. space yeah. or in, you know, fantasy Greek times or whatever, wherever right. Xena's set. But they can't be female. Like, you know, Soderbergh tried it with Haywire and, and Carano and, you know, packed the cast with like every famous person he'd right. ever worked with to try and get that movie yeah. off the ground with her. And it didn't fly. I mean, it's a good movie. I like it, but it didn't fly. Um, and, you know, you can count on one hand how many uh, female uh, leading superhero movies. And they are they are sci-fi fantasy genre films. So why are, uh, you know, even when you look at Lord of the Rings, you can spit and hit maybe just one or two strong women. The rest right. of women are elves or, yes. you know, right. sages or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's it's very sad. I've never understood it. I, I don't get it. There's something along the lines of, um, uh, like I say, if if it's a a female action film, that's how they brand it. Oh, well, this right. is an action film, but it has females in it rather right. than it just being an action film right. ha that happened to be led by, you know, one of the strongest, most compelling martial artists on the planet. Um, you know, uh, and, and, and yet it still has to be like, Hey, we may, it, it's the same with ghostbusters. Like the, the, the female ghostbusters, there was, and, and even if I put it in my, my article, I'm like the one thing that good that came out of it was seeing, you know, girls and, and women at the premiere feeling like they finally had a comedy for them. But on the flip side of that, it's like, right, but make a comedy for them, not a Ghostbusters movie, right? right. So, or if you're going to do a female Ghostbusters movie, have it um, have it be a Ghostbusters movie, not a female Ghostbusters movie, and have them be another group of Ghostbusters, you know, with the original cast, so that the afterlife, when it came out, doesn't feel like, don't worry, lads, we've got men back in the movie again. Right, exactly. It's not about the gender. It's it's right. about the content and the intent of the film. And, um, you know, we're lucky to have the Rothrock films we do, uh, and we're lucky that, you know, Vinegar Syndrome and others are putting their money where their mouth is and, and releasing more of these. I know a couple of the guys now uh, from the archive in Connecticut who run Vinegar Syndrome, and they're all big PM Entertainment yeah. fans. Um, you know, they obviously struck a deal with Jalal Mary and got um, uh, Talons of the Eagle and so, uh, uh, TC2000 and some of the ones he made with Billy Blank. So that's a start. They obviously got Writing Wrongs. They got Tiger Claws. They got um, uh, Martial Law. So, you know, they cast Rothrock in New York Ninja, which was their first film. Um, so they're fans. They've got her number. They know, you know, so fingers crossed. I mean, maybe... I don't know who owns PM now and, and what, like I know Echo Bridge and a couple of others like bought up a bunch of those PM entertainment movies, but those big box sets you used to buy of like 50 action movies and 10 of them would be PM. Right. Those have sort of gone by the wayside. They've not made the leap to Blu-ray or, or 4k or anything like no one's the Echo Bridges and the Mill Creeks of the world are, are not still putting out those big box sets where you could maybe pick up, you know, the Tracy Lord PM entertainment movies or whatever. Right. Um, but there's a great example. They put Tracy Lord in a bunch of PM entertainment movies, but not Rothrock. I'm like, right. listen, love Tracy Lords, but like, 
what what's her claim to action famous? <laughs> yeah, or like Anna Nicole Smith, they do two action movies in which granted Skyscraper is like a legitimately good action movie. I mean it's one of my favorite PM entertainment flicks. But it's like they're like pushing Anna Nicole Smith over the goal line. Like, there's right. a there's a, a a YouTube video that shows all the outtakes. And I like one of the reasons why I think she was a helicopter pilot was that she could wear a headset and they could feed her lines. Um right. you know, yeah. and and you do you watch that and you think like, okay, well, you know, yeah, Rothrock should have gotten those roles. And I don't know if maybe too, like if you look at maybe from a time standpoint that maybe she was in Indonesia when PM had the roles for her and she couldn't make yeah. them. Because, you know, the, the Rage and Honor movie that she makes, she makes, or Rage and Honor 2, she makes two other movies. She makes the two Lady Dragons in Indonesia. Yeah, and I felt like Rage and Honor 2, there was a bunch of sets that look yeah. almost identical to Lady Dragon. In fact, I think the big stately home they use for the guy who gets shot, the, the, right. the dad... Yeah. I think that is also in Lady Dragon. I think that's where where they have that big party where Rothrock and Norton yeah. meet again um, in in Rage and Honor Two. I'm pretty sure that is in Lady Dragon. That, I think it's where she goes time. to the yeah she goes to the party and she confronts Ginty with the yeah and, um, yeah and then she escapes on the motorcycle. Which, I mean that was a really great scene. I mean those were some really great you know scenes there. So yeah I, I you know hopefully people you know and I think because what's happening on the site is that she's going to get her 40th movie on the site soon. So she's going to be in the the you know, the 40 club. She'll be only the third actor to be in there after um, Dolph Lundgren and Gary Daniels. So, um, so kind of when she gets this, you know, we'll be doing some podcasts at the same time. So kind of, it'll be kind of like a mini Rothrock celebration here. But I, I mean, the thing is, I think the people who listen to the podcast and check out the blog and all of that, they know Rothrock. They're huge fans of her. Right. But I think it would be nice to get more people to kind of, yeah. Well, I know I know for a fact that Sworn to Justice is coming out because I think she posted that she's done a commentary for it. Mm. So I think Sworn to Justice, I wouldn't be surprised if Vinegar Syndrome don't announce that before the end of the year. Um, she also hinted at writing wrongs, and then that came out yeah. um, about three months later. Yeah. So um, I don't know what else they have uh, in terms of, of what they've bought or what they own, but it seems to me now that along with a lot of the indie partners they have and a lot of the um, horror they're still putting out, they tend to put out like one or two action titles now every time they announce stuff. I mean, you know, the, like I say, they did all the Billy Blanks. They did a lot of the Jalal Mary stuff. They've done some Rothrock. Um, action USA. So, action USA, right, exactly. And they, I mean, look, Action USA, 4,000 units sold out. Uh, yeah. Writing wrongs will sell out. I guarantee it. Uh, it's a, they're, they're sought after titles that, you know, action fans have talked uh, in hushed tones about in the background for, for decades and, and now we're getting their due. So I say onwards and upwards. I think that, um, you know, we, we might see Rothrock doing, you know, like I say, I look at her IMDb and she's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies in either pre-production, post-production or right. filming. Yeah. One so. of them is um, taken from Rio Bravo is one that I think, um, Art Camacho is directing it, so it's one of those Nevsky-produced ones. So you know, oh. I'll take that for one. <laughs> so we'll see what happens there. But um, uh, Joe Cornett okay. is, is directing it. Oh, so maybe um, he's doing stunts on that one. Maybe that's he. He was posting. He was posting. Maybe it was the other real. There's another real. I mean, there's. I think it's like two real Bravo movies that Nevsky's making. But he was posting on his Instagram some like uh, behind okay. the scenes for. So maybe he's just choreographer. Maybe he's the uh, choreographer for it. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot a lot of them look to be, uh, you know, pretty low budget uh, and a bit weird. She's in a Michael Madsen, Tom Sizemore, Eric Roberts, uh, and I can't I can't 
Stacy Keach, Daryl Hannah, Robert Davy, Jesus. Yeah. In a movie called Buckle Up, right. which looks to be like a Fast and Furious ripoff. Right. But it's but I'm amazed that it's 2022 and the yeah. poster for Buckle Up looks like it's 1989. Like I'm like, what? No one in low budget filmmaking knows how to do Photoshop? Like what the <laughs> fuck, guys? I could I go out and take a photo with my iPhone that looks better than that. Yeah, it's got the uh, the London Bridge there. Italian job meets Fast and Furious. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, it all it, seems to be done on green screen as well, which is a right. very worrying. That's how you get the cast because you just go, oh, "I'll pay you twenty grand to show up and stand in front of a green screen for forty minutes, and then we put you in the movie." So I mean, yeah, she needs to look. I'm excited that she's still working. She needs to get away from these fucking films. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and maybe that's that's another thing is maybe the fact that. You know, she was between the rock and a hard place, which was a Cynthia Roth rock and a hard place, which is <laughs> that you either work, right? So you either do these work in these low budget movies, but you feel like the more you play in that field, and, and Atkins is coming across this as well. Yeah. The more you keep doing that, the harder it is to break into the Hollywood mainstream because they feel like you're tainted with like the B movie virus, right? Right. Um, and you know, Adkins is finding this and Jesse Johnson is finding this. And I think, you know, a lot of them find this where it's like, look at the work we're doing and now we're ready for the next step. Yeah. And um, no one's giving the next step to them. And the closest they get is, like I say, a cameo in The Expendables or, you know, stunt work on a Mission Impossible or whatever it is. And um, And I think maybe that's it. Maybe it's the more picky and choosy you are, the less you work. And the more you work, the less they want you to be, you know, so it's sort of, yeah. Anyway, that's well, my yeah. final thing on it. But. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Daniels Expendables thing is maybe a great example because he was chosen to have like a very small role in that film. And then he kind of impressed Stallone with some of the ideas that he had for where his character should be standing and things like that. And they beefed up the role some or like john wick right the, the third john wick Dacascos was only supposed to have a small part and then i guess the, the main baddie backed out so they had him step in and i think people are starting to see what we've known for years about all of these names um and so yeah so maybe maybe that's what it, it's going to take for rothrock is or any of them that they get that one little you know that break that they didn't get earlier in their career um and yeah people see them in something and say okay yeah this is this is what we're you know but no, definitely watch Rage and Honor. Definitely delve into the uh, Rothrock canon. Um, there's plenty to enjoy. I think the sweet spot is 86 to 96. I think that's where she kind of does her best work. I think we've yeah. mentioned most of her strong titles uh, in this film, but in this podcast, rather. Yeah. Um, but my top ones are Yes Man and Writing Wrongs, um, Martial Law 2, uh, uh, Guardian Angel, China O'Brien. Um, and then probably raging on it uh, in the in the, in that kind of order. Um, so yeah, uh, I would I would check out any of those, but check out all of them. I I, I did a, a long time ago. I did a a, a Rothrock uh, uh, binge watch and found I had a friend of mine send me as many Rothrock digital things that he could find. And uh, you know, I got stuff like Fight to Win and and some of like the the Godfrey Ho and Leo yeah. Fong stuff that she made and even that stuff. She she does what she can in those those movies. <laughs> yeah. Well and I think too to some extent maybe I need to sort of practice what I preach about talking about wanting to get the word out about her because the only other podcast that we've I've done about Rothrock before, this one and the the one that with Tom Joliff that you know doing around the same time, is I did a top five 
Roth Rock films with uh, the guys from Comeuppets, uh, Ty and 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 and, uh, and Brett there or Bosch. Um, and so you know, I that's the only other time I've done a Roth Rock, and so I probably should be kind of doing more like, hey, somebody want to come on and talk about you know because you you reached out to me and you were like, hey, did you want to do Rage and Honor? Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. And they were like, yeah, do you want to do it on your show? And it's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's. Yeah, I, I do it on here because as I say, the after movie diner is ending. Right. Yeah, so exactly. The after movie is over. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> right. Right. So, but so that's why. Yeah, that's why we're we're here kind of doing this. But I think it's 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 part me having to sort of keep you know put my money where my mouth is too and be like, okay, I'm gonna do more Roth Rock. And I think part of the thing is I've kind of exhausted a lot of her films. I mean, I've done I've kind of dug deep into the catalog to get a lot of hers on the site, and and now it is kind of like Cool Cats you know, my, or something like that that's, in there that's left uh, to review. Um, so, so, you know, there isn't much left there. Um, and so that part of it, it kind of slows down. You've the, seen the more movie. than I have, and I've seen, I've seen a ton, but yeah, um, I, I, this will be 40 move. I'm going to do inspector wear skirts. Um, it probably, by the time we, this is reviewed, it, it'll already be posted, but that'll be the number, the 40th film on the site of, of for her. So, um, yeah. And I, I mean, then it'll be probably digging into the cool cat and, you know, whether or not I do the cool cat, kids whatever thing or you know uh, probably martial arts kid i'll do some of those but yeah yeah well i liked uh what was the other one i just picked up eureka just put out a really good um millionaires express or shanghai express right that's what i've got to do yeah so i i have that i have the eureka disc of that it's import so it's a bit more expensive but really really nice package um i also picked up prince of the sun and um what's the other hong kong Magic Crystal. Yeah, I picked so. those two up on Hong Kong Blu-ray because I have a multi-region, so I I just yeah. picked up uh, whatever I could that was was available. But yeah, Inspector West Skirts is still kind of just floating around digitally. You can't really find that streaming anywhere. Or uh, um, no, Inspector West Skirts is actually um, Tubi has it now. Okay, nice. Okay, yeah, good. so they just got it recently, so that's why I've been meaning to watch. Amazon it. had um, City Cops, is it? Yeah. Uh, Amazon had that, I think, for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're kind of floating around out there. But, I, you know, I think for people, I think you're right. I think, you, you know, that mid-90s period, you know, I think when you get earlier than mid-80s, um, you know, I think, you know, like like that's where you start to get into, like, Magic Crystal and some of those. And I think those are fun ones. I mean, um, if you want to hear Norton with a somebody dubbing him with a bad, like, Italian, I think it's Italian or, or Latin American accent. I don't know what the accent is supposed to be for him, a Russian Um but the bad dubbing for him is fantastic. And but I mean, you know, it's it's all great martial arts stuff that they do in those movies. So it's like the movie's ridiculous, um, has really bad slapstick Hong Kong humor in it. Um, yeah, I mean, sorry, she starts off in 85. So I've been saying 86 to 96, but it's really 85 to 96. And I guess because, yes, Madam's fantastic. Millionaire that's a good point. Yes, Madam. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, writing wrongs is fantastic. Um, Magic Crystal is OK. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um Prince of the Sun is okay, but but her best Hong Kong stuff is is yes, Madam Millionaire's Express and Writing Wrongs. Uh, if you watch nothing else, watch those three. Yeah, yeah, and then I think you know for what's available on on you know the, the streaming sites. I mean, uh, you know, you can't do much worse than Rage and Honor films. Um, or no, no, sorry, can't do much. You can't do much better than I think. You can't do much better than uh, than the Rage and Honor films. I think they're a good a good pair. Um, it's a, they 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 just kind of do exactly what you want from a '90s actioner and. Sometimes you can't ask for more than that. Yeah. Have you seen No Witnesses, by the way? <laughs> no, I don't. I think I've seen it on here. And I think I looked it up, but I have not. Um... Wow. It's a Leo Fong joint with 
Stack Pierce and Rothrock and Steve Quimby. Yeah. Never it, even heard of it. Yeah, I'm wondering if it was ever released. Um, the funny thing about 24 Hours to Midnight is that that was one that was never released because I think she quit the the, the production like early on. Right. And then Fong had somebody dig up the, the print of it. I guess the guy who actually had to go dig it up, he hurt his back and still has back problems from having <laughs> to dig up the, the reels. Um, but he then took that, spliced it, put a woman in a ninja costume and said, this is Rothrock. And you know, finish the movie off. Um, so I, I, I can't even imagine what No Witnesses is. Um, it, it lists, oh, you know what's interesting about Witnesses? It lists Powder Chan. It lists Stack Pierce as Powder Chan. So yeah. I'm wondering if he recut 24 Hours to Midnight and sold it in, in China as oh, probably. something new. Because he did that with the other movies he made with Rothrock. He did it with um, Undefeatable. Um, he recut that and made it something like Bloody Mary or, or something. Um, cut it with somebody else in the film, and also honoring. It's remarkable him. she kept working with him, really. Yeah. Considering, yeah. Right. Yeah. He just. I mean, he essentially Richard Harrisoned her. Um, right. It was, you know, not a, not to the same degree, but he, yeah, he just took her movie, the movies he made with her, just recut them and re-released them as something different in 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 China. So, or in in in, uh, in Hong Kong. So. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating what Godfrey Ho does with movies. Like you just, you know, it's like, yeah, that I didn't realize that until I started looking into it a little bit more. And I think that might be maybe Leo Fong may have done the same thing with uh, this No Witnesses movie. Yeah, and uh, no, it's all good. It's all good, dude. I have to jump, but uh, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Uh, I will I will talk Rothrock anytime so, you want um, and um, uh, yeah watch the space as to what happens with the after movie diner um, but uh, I'm still writing reviews I'm just not podcasting much anymore but I'll come on and, and guest on your show whenever you need me to so yeah absolutely well no thank you again for coming on um yeah we'll have the links in the in the thing for after movie diner and for also your your uh your band camp as well but uh yeah thank you everybody for listening and um yeah if you like John's music you're gonna hear the the theme song as we as we go out here but uh but thanks everybody have a good one sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.